Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to another Buckeye Talk. Doug Maurice, Tim Bielek, and a robot version of Bill Landis. At least he's going to sound like a robot a little bit. See if you sound like a robot. I hope I don't sound like a robot. Would you have me on the podcast if I actually sound like a robot? I have a couple robot things to talk about this week that I'm completely freaked out about. So, uh, no, no. If If I thought you sounded like a robot, I would come to Philadelphia and murder you. So robots aren't allowed in Philadelphia. Yeah. Um, I was gonna say something there. I'm gonna say it, and then I'm gonna cut it out because I, I want to say it. Right? No, I can't say it. <laughs> I'll say it after the podcast. The joke that was on the tip of my tongue. Hey, it's Buckeye Talk. Doug Maurice, Bill Landis, Tim Bielek. Thanks to you guys for listening. We're going all quarterbacks, all quarterbacks, all quarterbacks. Last week. As I rushed off to a middle school track meet, and we do in fact have a middle school track question this week that I actually have an answer to, we couldn't get to quarterbacks. We broke down all the other position groups and told you we would come back this week and hit the quarterbacks. And Landis said, I'm so excited to hit the quarterbacks, I'm going to Philadelphia. So he's on the phone, we have your questions, I just rewatched a chunk of the spring game. Landis, did you watch the spring game yet? I've watched most of it, yeah. Okay, and we know Tim watched it. Yeah, I, if you go go on Cleveland.com, you can find my passing chart on both Joe Burrow and Dwayne Haskins. I, I caught on a couple GIFs of some of their highlights and one of their not-great throws apiece, so go check it out. It's worth a, worth a read. We'll have Tim narrate um, some of his GIFs as part of the podcast. Um because I want to get like it, I do actually. I want to get into like a couple throws. Because I like I, I really want to dig into these quarterbacks. So we're gonna do that. We're gonna hit a couple other things. We're gonna give one last brief mini preview of the NFL draft. All of our videos projecting where we think these Buckeyes are gonna be picked starting on Thursday. All those videos are up on Cleveland.com/osu. So go find them there. Go watch them. We flipped over little cards and predicted where we all three of us thought. Um, these 11 Buckeyes, the 11 who went to the Combine, where they would be picked. Uh, we, I think we have a little recruiting stuff we'll get into. We have a couple other questions from you guys that aren't quarterback-related, but I mostly want to deal with quarterbacks after the five-star review of the week from Tim Bielek. Tim, what do you have from the good people reviewing Buckeye Talk? 
All right. Well, obviously, we did not get to it last week because we were we were because on, of middle school track. Yes, middle school track takes precedent over reviews. But I will give a lot of credit to our reviewers. They they brought it this week. We had JS Din C call us the Eddie George of podcasts. But this one, I'm going to go to Buckeye two five one seven, who called it. This is the best of the OSU podcast. And this is a little bit long, but bear with me. I grew up in Mansfield and graduated from Ohio State in 1966 and went into the Army via the ROTC. I never moved back to Ohio and now live in the middle of Georgia, which he lives in Jake Fromm's hometown. Nice. There is obviously not much news about the Bucks, so I have been relegated to the web and podcasts. I have listened to football podcasts over the past six years or so. Some have come, some have gone. But after all these years, I think yours is the best. It's like eavesdropping on a discussion of a few guys who really know a lot about OSU football. It's relaxing and fun to listen to. I love the way Doug phrases his sentences. He sounds very thoughtful, whether he is or not. I could listen to him talk all day or until I shoot myself in the head, whichever comes first. But seriously, you guys are great together. And while I missed Ari after he left, I believe Tim is a great addition. And I enjoyed Bill's basketball podcast. And here we go. This is how he wraps up. You don't need you don't need no stinking producer. What makes your show fun is that you are just taking bumps whenever they come and making it enjoyable to listen to. I have tears streaming down my face. That review made me emotional. Landis, are you okay? Does being the Eddie George of podcasts mean we all have to record the podcast with our shirts rolled up so you can see our abs? Well, that's the thing. Like, I, I assume that he's making that reference in terms of Eddie George being a great football player and winning the Heisman Trophy. But I'm taking it as we're a handsome podcast because Eddie George is on the top of the list of like people my wife would leave me for. It's a long list. It's a long list. But he's number one. He is a handsome, handsome man. And to be compared to Eddie George is something that my wife would never do, would never compare me to Eddie George. So it's been a dream of mine to be compared to Eddie George, and it finally happened. But if Multi-talented too, right? Yeah. But if we're compared to Eddie George, does that mean we get our own restaurant near campus? Yes. They have appetizers. I mean, he. if I could trade lives with one person, it might be a person who won the Heisman Trophy, had a long NFL career, owns a restaurant, and has been in a Broadway show. Plus, he also played in the Super Bowl. I mean, come on, man. All right. Let's not try to get too big heads about that. Um, but thank you to all of you who listen. Thanks to all of you who take the time to review. Thanks to all of you who take the time to send us questions. And we saved your questions from last week. And we're going to start with one that I think is sort of the basis of this Ohio State quarterback podcast. Because it is, to me, sort of a fascinating situation because it's not what I would have expected given what the last couple years of Ohio State football has been like. And here's the question. It's from A.A. Ron at at 937 Aaron. What do you guys make of the fan base's admiration for Joe Burrow over Dwayne Haskins, a year removed from the fan base calling for JT to sit and Dwayne to play? Do we know what we want? Do we know what we need? That is a tremendous question because... We have a little proof, Landis, of what people voted for after the spring game and who they want to be the Ohio State quarterback. We do. Uh, the question was, who will be Ohio State's starting quarterback in the fall? And, and I guess you can interpret that any way you want. It. You, you can interpret it as who do you want to be the quarterback. But the way we phrased it was, who will be the quarterback in the fall? Uh, nearly 5,000 votes, 4,597. Joe Burrow 
got 52% of the vote. Dwayne Haskins got 41%. Well, I guess if you round up, Burrow got 53, Haskins got 42, and Tate Martell got 6. All right. Let's go to you first, Bill, and then we'll go around the circle and figure out, if, as we try to analyze the voting patterns of our loyal Ohio State listeners and readers, why did Joe Burrow win that poll? Well, I, I think it's important uh, as a podcast that is associated with the website who once had Johnny Manziel win uh, a poll over Jim Brown, right? Uh, yes, I did awesome. set the parameters the right way. Thank you for bringing that up, though. That was that reflog guy who got the guy I helped. I like to think that I played a minor, minor role in the Browns' 0-16 parade because Chris McNeil, who who made that parade happen, who's reflog on Twitter, did that. He's the guy who did that to my Johnny Manziel, Jim Brown bracket and made Manziel win, and that was one of, he did other things, it's not like he got famous off of that, but that is amongst his little tricks. So he didn't get into this poll, did he? Into the Burrow poll. Well, if there's, yeah, maybe maybe not him specifically, but I just wanted to lay that out there, that it is possible that uh, Joe Burrow's uncle voted a thousand times. Or Bill um, Davis's cousin. Or Bill <laughs> Davis's cousin. Well, it's actually Bill Davis with a fake name. Well, are we led to believe that he can only vote in Twitter polls once? Because I always thought that was the case. I mean... It's who, not a Twitter poll. It's not a Twitter poll. But No, it's oh, our right. poll on Cleveland.com, right? Did you make yep. the poll? I did, and I don't block voting because I want the clicks, baby. I want them coming back. You don't block any voting? You let people vote 500 times? Correct. Oh, my God. Bill, I... No, I can't trust any. I, I think you are a robot. <laughs> You've got to set the parameters. I make them come back once an hour. Once an hour, man. You're just free. No, you're not a robot. You're a hippie. You're a free living, free loving, <laughs> pole rigging hippie. Which makes him the opposite of a robot. Yeah, anyway. Okay, so, well, you can go into the poll and see if there are people who voted a thousand times. Yeah, you know it's, by, it's by IP address. So did anyone vote a thousand times? Uh, it does not look like it. Okay. All right. So we, despite Bill's free love way of doing things, <laughs> we will take this poll as, a, as some kind of indication of something. So why are there so many people who, who want or believe or think that Joe Burrow is going to be the quarterback? Yeah, and I will say too, like like uh, separate from the poll, I, I personally, I don't know if you guys did too, got a lot of interaction on Twitter and, and in the comments on Cleveland.com from people who were very pro-Burrow um, after the spring game. And that was very, it was surprising to me, and, and I, I've been thinking about it, and I don't, I don't quite know what it is. I, I think what I've settled on is the idea, and it's something we've talked about in regard to, to Dwayne Haskins before, like, well, will Urban Meyer trust him, does the way that... Dwayne Haskins appears to be like a little loose with a ball or aggressive with the ball, make Urban Meyer nervous. And I think that maybe it's making Ohio State fans nervous, especially when compared to a guy like Joe Burrow, who I think is not going to do that very often. I think he will be more aggressive than JT Barrett was because he's a better thrower than JT Barrett. But the reason Urban Meyer felt so comfortable with JT Barrett is that you knew more often than not that JT wasn't going to make a mistake. Like he might throw an inaccurate pass. But he wasn't going to make some kind of boneheaded decision that was going to end up in a turnover or end up in a bad play. And it's not to say that Dwayne Haskins will, but I think Dwayne Haskins is a risk taker because he trusts his arm so much. And Ohio State, 
aside from three games with Cardell Jones, that by the way ended in the national championship, hasn't really had that under Urban Meyer. So I think people are just starting to get a little scared. And the spring game was a reminder of, of frankly, what I think we've known about Joe Burrow all along, that he has, I guess, a little bit of game manager to, to, to the way he plays. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I just mean that like he's a smart guy who, who's going to make the smart decision. And sometimes that means checking down and throwing a three-yard pass instead of trying to throw a ball 40 yards down the field into a tight window when I think Dwayne Haskins might do the opposite. Um, and I think there's benefits to doing the opposite, but I, I can see on some level why that might scare some people. And, and I think that because they're a little nervous about what an offense with Dwayne Haskins might look like, um, they're, they're trending more towards Joe Burrow. All right, Tim Bielek, put on your psychiatrist hat and try to figure out why so many people voted for Joe Burrow. Well, I think part of it, and I could be wrong, is there, I'm sure with, when it comes to Ohio State in particular, there's a lot of people that are always infatuated by the Ohio kid. You know, they want to, they yep. want to see the Ohio quarterback do well. And all everybody knew for the last couple of years is Joe Burrow won Mr. Football. He had one of the most spectacular seasons the quarterbacks had in high school football in Ohio in quite a, in quite a long time. And I feel like they there's always almost when it seems like there's a tie, people want to lean more towards the Ohio kid because you. I'm sure there's the sentimental story of you know an Ohio State an Ohio quarterback leading an Ohio State to a national championship because I think there's some prestige to it. I'm I'm not saying any of this to, to uh, tear down any what Joe Burrow did because I feel like there's, yeah. there's merit to what he can do as a starting quarterback. If he started, I think OSU would be fine. Yeah, but no, no, and I agree with that. I don't think it, it, and my hope on this podcast is that we can talk about this quarterback battle in a way where we're not tearing down anybody because I, I think we all agree that they have three good options, three different options, three options who are at different stages of their career, um, but three good options. And, and obviously the two are ahead of Tate Martell, but I also think all three of us think Tate Martell, as he gets older, could be a very good quarterback for Ohio State. So I don't think we have to be negative in assessing these guys because I think they're all big-time college quarterbacks but but I think the thing that is the most interesting part of this and it's it's Aaron's question phrased it perfectly is how are we in a world where people are preferring Joe Burrow when so many people seem to be pining for Dwayne Haskins over JT Barrett last year Bill that's the dichotomy to me that you know what? If you're nervous about Dwayne Haskins or or if you like the Ohio kid, I think both of you made good points. I think those are very valid. But but how did we then live in a world where last year it somehow people wanted Dwayne Haskins over JT Barrett, but now they want Burrow over Haskins? Does that make sense, Bill? Uh, I do think that that's people wanted to see like Dwayne Haskins be dominant this spring like there was an assumption on on our part or at least on my part i won't speak for you guys an assumption on my part that the job was his coming into the spring or at least that it was a formality and at the end it would be clear that the job belonged to Dwayne Haskins and looking at the spring game as as the best example of of that that we have having only seen a handful of practices and then the spring game and then just like kind of the vibe we got from people um it feels to me like Dwayne Haskins did not go and take this thing, I think, the way that people might have expected him to. So I guess if, if you think of it that way, it makes a little bit of sense to me that, I don't know if you want to say people have fallen out of love with Dwayne Haskins, or but, you know, I think you want, you, 
there's an expectation, I think, of, of from the guy that you think is going to be the leader of your program moving forward that, that now that's his moment, he's going to go out there and embrace it and, and show that the team should be his. And he like he talked that way at the start of spring, and I, and I wrote a story think, saying that I think he should talk that way because of what he did in the Michigan game last year and what he did and the opportunities that were given to him. But part of me also feels like that he didn't really back up what he was saying with his play in the spring, and that's based off what we saw from the 18 throws, he, 19 throws he had in the spring game and talking with people. But I don't know, maybe it was never out there for anyone to say that Dwayne Haskins was awesome this spring, but I thought it was, and it didn't happen. Okay, so I, I know it seems like Haskins didn't have a great spring. When I was re-watching the game, something I thought was interesting was James Laurinaitis on the broadcast said that Urban told them that he didn't think Chase Young had a great spring. And so I know I told the story last week of like taking this Chase Young, Dwayne Haskins photo of these two guys from Maryland who are like leading the renaissance of this Ohio State football program. And Chase Young didn't have a great spring in Urban Meyer's eyes. Now, he had a great spring game, but but nobody is saying that, like, Chase Young shouldn't play. And Chase Young, even I – th- I feel like they still treat Chase Young as, like, not a first-teamer sometimes because there were times we saw him, and I think even the way they divided up the defense and stuff, that, like, they sort of have been treating Bosa and Cooper as the starting ends, and he's, like, the third guy. And, like, nobody is saying, oh, my gosh, is Chase Young not going to start? So – that to me was just an interesting comparison because they are young, talented guys who I think it's possible maybe didn't have the greatest springs in the world because in their head, they're there. And the coaches don't want them to be that way too much. So they're continuing to try to push those guys. But but it just made me think about Dwayne Haskins a little differently, and I wanted to ask you guys this specific question about Haskins as we, again, consider the people who are really into Burrow. We did not get to see with our own eyeballs much more than what Ohio State fans got to see this year. We saw two practices, and both were early on. Was there anything in what you watched in the spring game that would that you thought was a negative from Dwayne Haskins that would turn you away from, from Dwayne Haskins at all, that would turn fans who watched that spring game away from Dwayne Haskins? Or was it more about people liking what they saw from Burrow? Because to me, if, if there was any assumption from us, from fans in general, that Haskins was the guy, if, you're, if you aren't on the Haskins bag, bandwagon, to me, it, it would mean that he did something wrong. Did he do anything wrong in the spring game, Tim? To me, I don't think so. I think it was more, you know, people like, to your second point, they liked what they saw for Burrow, and I think we discussed this after the game was maybe Dwayne was trying to show off a little more, you know, show that he could throw the deep ball, and then Joe Burrow played it more like a game, you know, in a game situation. And, again, to I, I think it was Bill that made this point that we saw what Dwayne Haskins looks like in a game situation against Michigan. When the game's on the line, you know, he's not going to chuck it 50 yards every single play to show off his arm. He's going to make the little plays, and I think that's probably what people wanted to see a little more of. It's just, in in that respect, I can understand people liking what they saw more out of Burrow than Haskins, although I think you also have to come in with the caveat of it's a spring game, it's technic- it's a glorified scrimmage, so they're only working on certain things. They're not necessarily just working on, okay, we're gonna. you guys are here to run an 80-yard touchdown drive. 
that's not the situation because it'll be run so much differently for were true game conditions. Do you think anything did anything turn you against Haskins or would have turned fans against Haskins, Bill? No, I, I don't think so. But but as as Tim was saying that, it made me think of this, and and you can tell me if this is a, a step too far. Dwayne Haskins played the spring game like he was already the starter, and Joe Burrow didn't. Like Dwayne Haskins was just out there, like kind of trying some stuff. Like, watch how far I can throw this thing. Let's put on a show for the people. I have the biggest arm in America. Watch this. And Joe Burrow's like, I might come out and try to win a job today. Is that like, is that too far? See, so I don't. I think I. I can understand that characterization. I don't think I agree with that characterization. Because I was and watching it again, Dwayne Haskins tried a deep ball, I think, to Austin Mack early on down the left sideline that he just kind of overthrew a little bit. He had the deep ball to Terry McLaurin that we talked about last week that I thought was right there, and, and watching that in slow-mo again, I thought it was right there. I mean, I guess maybe it was a half yard too far, but man, that was a really pretty throw. Joe Burrow, one of his completions was on third down, short of the sticks, in a spring game. Yeah. And again, he hit a lot of those intermediate throws, and and a couple of them were pretty good. Dwayne Haskins had another play where he was in the pocket, and the pocket was kind of collapsing around him a little bit, and he stepped up and stepped up, and when you slowed that down and did some freeze frames, there was nobody open. There were there was not a receiver who didn't have a defender draped all over him, and they ended up kind of like bouncing a pass to the sideline. So that's like another incompletion. I, I don't know. Dwayne Haskins, in, after the game and talking about it, said, well, you know, when I'm in the game, we call more deep balls. And so I, I don't know if it was him deciding I'm going to try some stuff, but I don't. And again, I said I don't want to be negative about this, and I'm not. Uh, Joe Burrow played well. I think Joe Burrow could win the Big Ten at Ohio State and could be a great quarterback for any other Big Ten team. I don't know if you could win a national championship with Joe Burrow, but maybe you could. That's how much I think of Joe Burrow. I don't want to give him credit for completing a pass on third down in the spring game short of the sticks, though. It's the spring game. Like, as much as you said it... Like Joe Burrow went out and won the job and maybe took it like seriously and Dwayne was trying some things. I don't know, man. Come on, throw up throw up past the sticks on third down against your own team. Right? Uh, yeah, no, I, I see what you're saying. And I don't know like what, what what I said is not is not really what I think. I'm just like trying just trying to get inside the mind of people who who seem to have flipped their, their opinion a little bit. I'm wondering if, if there's any of that sentiment. I, I don't think that's the case because I agree with a lot of what you said. And I didn't think Dwayne Haskins was just out there chucking it around. I thought he went through progressions like Joe Burrow did. Now, there are times, I think, and it happened like the, the even if you go back to the Michigan game, the ball that, that Haskins completed to Austin Mack, like he knew where he was throwing that ball when before it got snapped to him. And I think there are times when it looks like Dwayne Haskins makes up his mind where he's throwing the ball before he has it in his hands. Um, and I, maybe you saw a little bit of that in the spring game, and, and Joe Burrow, maybe to a lesser extent, th- doesn't do that as much. And I don't. I think that's okay. Like there are a lot of guys in college football who who just make one read and make a good throw, and that's it. Um, but I do like some of the stuff that I heard was like Burrow 
Burrow sees the field better. Burrow goes through his progressions. He 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 takes the the free six yards when the twenty five yard throw down the field's not there. And like I think that's true. But you're also describing JT Barrett, and I thought we were trying to get past that. Yeah, I I, I don't understand that because we did hear. We, it felt like we heard from a lot of people who, and, and not everybody, you know, wanted JT to lose his job last year. But there was a general discontent with JT being a quarterback that was good but not great. JT, we've talked. We've talked about deep. We talked about deep balls for two years with JT. They yeah. got to throw the deep ball. They got to throw the deep ball. How are we at a place where now somehow maybe there are people like grading Dwayne Haskins down for throwing too many deep balls in the spring game? Are we did, did it was some part of this somewhere along the line just like the squeaky wheel, the loud minority opinion that it's everybody everybody who who wanted a change from JT like made it known. The Haskins people were really loud about it. But maybe 80% of the fans were actually like 100% perfectly fine with everything JT did. We just heard from a lot of the 20% of the Haskins people. And now here we are. A lot of those JT people are sticking with Burrow. Is that possible? Or do you feel like in the end there were a lot of Ohio State fans last year who liked JT, who loved JT, but also just thought to themselves, man, I just wish we had a quarterback who could throw it better. Do you think do you think that opinion? I wish we had a quarterback who could throw it better. Was that opinion felt by more than half of Ohio State fans last year? Yes or no? Bill first. Yeah, I think so. I can't yeah, I can't imagine we're just hearing from a very vocal minority. I I think that a and I think you can think that while also appreciating JT. So, sure. no, I, yeah, I, I think I think it was greater than 50%. I think I would I would feel comfortable saying that a, a good majority of the fan base thought that even if they were even if they were JT people still thought that. Tim, last year did people think that? Yeah, I I I was among those people cuz I said after the Oklahoma game I would have benched JT Barrett and, and I still kind of I mean Barrett did get better in the season but he didn't really wasn't the guy who was ever going to be with his arm outside of that fourth quarter of that Penn State game. So I think for my perception, it's a lot of people that really want to see this off passing offense really get to that modern passing game that you know everybody wants to see at a place like Ohio State where you should be able to get the best quarterbacks, the best receivers, the best components to a passing game, and they only took small steps forward and started to finally take small steps in that direction last season. Okay, so if we feel like more, at least half the fans felt that last year, we like JT, we just would like a quarterback who can throw it better. Have people changed their minds? Like, have are, are there people who last year... God, I guess I should have probably tweeted this before the podcast and, and like, gotten a reaction. Are there people who were Haskins people last year who are Burrow people this year? I almost feel like now I'm, like, a political writer. It's like the, like, Obama voters who voted for Trump or whatever when people change their mind. Like, you feel like you have a handle on voters or... They think one thing and then they think another thing, and it's like you try to get inside their head. Are there are, did people are there people who were Haskins voters a year ago who are Burrow voters now? 
It sounds like almost like you're describing Stockholm syndrome within the Ohio State fan base. Well, and part of it is, and this is, and this is a second part of the question, and I want you guys to answer that first part first. But the second part of the question is, as many people have said a million different times, the most popular guy on the team is the backup quarterback. So maybe now Dwayne Haskins was great when he was the alternative to the starter, but now that he's the presumed front runner, now all of a sudden the guy behind him looks pretty good. Are there people, though, Landis, are there people who were Haskins voters in 2017 who are Burrow voters in 2018? It, it seems that way. It's certainly, like, I don't think you get to this, this uh, percentage of votes that we had without that happening on some level. Um, how, how great that number is, I don't know. And I guess this will be taking a, the conversation in another direction when I say this, but I wonder... If if this percentage that we saw and 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 the the feedback that we've gotten is is a reflection of not necessarily what people want, but but what they think Urban is going to do, and don't want to set themselves up for disappointment. Like if you want Dwayne Haskins, but you think Urban's going to go with a guy who's more like JT, then maybe you just get behind Burrow because you'll be happier that way when that ends up being the final decision. I don't know, um, but. Yeah, I think that there there have to, there has to be some percentage of people who who loved Dwayne Haskins last year and now love Joe Burrow more than him. Okay, so I'm the pollster because I'm trying to think to myself, I was going to volunteer to be the voter, and you guys could be the pollsters because it's easy to be the pollster. But I, I'm the pollster on this podcast. I just ask stuff and then I make you guys answer. So I'm trying to figure out like I'm the pollster and I'm asking you this question because I'm gathering data. I'm interested in this stuff, you know, whatever. The, the people at CNN and Fox and MSNBC and ABC, they want, they, want, they want my data so they can talk about it on the show. So I'm out with the real people in real, I'm in middle America. I'm in middle America in a suburban basement with blank walls and like old furniture and it smells like farts. Okay, I'm the pollster, you're the voter. If, if, and I'm, so uh, the people we have gathered here in our focus group are people who were Haskins voters in 2017, who are Borough voters in 2018. Uh, you, sir, from Philadelphia, what's your name? Uh, Joel Embiid. Joel Embiid. Mr. Embiid, how, what is it? Can you explain how you went from being a Haskins voter to being a Borough voter? What changed for you? Why did you decide to do that? What's the, like, what's the explanation for people who are feeling that? Landis, do it. I mean, Mr. Embiid, explain yeah. it. Uh, okay, so I watched the 2015 Ohio State season in which uh, Urban Meyer had a quarterback similarly gifted to Dwayne Haskins, a big arm, less mobile, could really stretch the field. But then they did not tailor the offense to that quarterback-specific skill set. And I am worried that if they put in the guy with a similar skill set again this time, they will do the same thing and have a clunky offense that is not built to suit their quarterback. And if they play Joe Burrow, that requires less change to the offense. And you, sir, uh, your last name is Bielek, is that correct? I uh, believe believe so yeah okay mr bielek i understand that you're originally from the cleveland area you've recently relocated here to the columbus area Mm -hmm. my question is as a voter who was a haskins voter in 2017 who's now a borough voter in 2018 we heard from mr Embiid, who explained why he became a borough voter but what made you a haskins voter last year if you believe in mr burrow now 
what made you doubt Mr. Barrett last year when you were voting for Mr. Haskins? Because much of our data would show that Borough voters are more similar to Barrett voters, but yet you yourself were a Haskins voter who's now a Borough voter. Why did you change your vote to Mr. Haskins last year? Well, because what I saw from Mr. Barrett at the beginning of last year, especially in the second performance against visitors from the state of Oklahoma, did not wow me. He needed to rise rise to the level of his competition, who ended up being the popular vote among all participants in the country, and he won a special trophy. That's true. And he won a trophy because of it. But Mr. Barrett did not rise up to that level of play. And this had been a pattern before. He had done this at Penn State the year before against Michigan when he he did not play well until the fourth quarter against Clemson, did not look good. He, he hadn't really done much to wow since 2014 when he before he had that ankle injury, which took him out of, of the spring, of the, of the next spring, and really into that fall camp. And I think there's probably a little bit of fatigue in there. Like, you've seen the same thing, you're ready for something new, and then when Dwayne Haskins comes out against Army, you see a rocket arm, you're like, ooh, rocket arm, that looks cool, I want that. Okay, so for both of you, Mr. Embiid and Mr. Bielek, if that fatigue exists, if there was fatigue with the platform of Mr. Barrett, would not that fatigue carry over to a similar candidate in Mr. Burrow? Why are you not fatigued? Was it was the fatigue specifically related to the candidate or to the platform? Because again, Mr. Burrow's platform and Mr. Barrett's platform are very similar. Is this about the votes and the ideas or is this about the individual candidate? Mr. Embiid, how could you not feel fatigue about Mr. Burrow if you did feel it about Mr. Barrett? It's about the candidate uh, because Mr. Burrow is a better uh, passer than Mr. Barrett. I think that has been proven in the little bit we've seen of Mr. Burrow and the lot of bit we've seen of Mr. Barrett, that Mr. Burrow is a more complete passer than Mr. Barrett ever was in his Ohio State career. Uh, so, Mr. Bielek, clearly you op- were open last year. You had been a loyal Barrett voter, but you were open to the candidacy of Mr. Haskins a year ago. What could Mr. Haskins do to get your vote back now? You've, exp- you've been with him before. You clearly are intrigued by Mr. Burrow right now, but could Mr. Haskins get your vote back? Absolutely. I think what Mr. Haskins need to show, needs to show is, like he did in his limited performance on the road in Michigan, that he can perform in certain circumstances. That he could just play with, he could perform within the limits of what's given around him, instead of trying to go over the top, go uh, try extra things to try and impress the voters by doing a little flash. Sometimes people want some substance over style which I guess attracted a lot of people in some ways to Mr. Barrett because there was a lot of substance there. And the record books prove that, I believe, three dozen times over and change. But I think in some cases they want a little substance to go with that style. You you want a little orchestral music to go with the fireworks show on the 4th of July. All I know is that Tate Martell is Ross Perot. So, (laughs) hey, uh, I'm a quarterback from Vegas. Although I get my Tim May and my Ross Perot crossover. Very easily. Similar. Yeah. Similar. Is it wrong that when you said Mr. Barrett and all that stuff, I suddenly got a vibe of the board game Clue? I love Clue. Great movie. All right. So did did we explain it? Did like does all that make sense? Did we just explain in in a, in a way that that how people might think that was that a reasonable explanation of how you could go from Haskins over Barrett yet now Burrow over Haskins? Landis, did we cover that? 
Yeah, I think we did. And I, I think, uh, I think what like ultimately boils down to like I, I don't think people are going to be mad if it's Haskins. I think what has happened is that people have realized that they're both good, so now camps are forming. Yeah, I think that's true, and it's. I, I feel like, and I, and I don't really feel like I need to say this. I've been like beating the drum with the Browns about like. Don't boo on draft night. I wrote a column that said, don't boo the pick. Like, don't be mad. Don't be so wrapped up in you're a Baker Mayfield guy that you're mad if the Browns draft Sam Darnold. Don't be so wrapped up in being a Darnold guy that you're going to boo and, like, set your jersey on fire if they draft Josh Allen. You know, like, I I felt like that needed maybe to be said to Browns fans, although, like, then when I did a poll, like, 80% of people said no, they won't boo. I don't think that's really a problem here. Just like I didn't think it was a problem that like people were would would have been mad. I don't think people were mad over Cardale and JT. I think they were interested. Um, I don't think people are going to be mad over Burrow or Haskins. I think they're interested, but I do think there's a belief in both. Tim, do you think there's any chance that there would be any significant chunk of the fan base that's going to be so dedicated to their guy in this that they actually will be a little bit mad if their guy's not the starter? I, you would hope not, because I think that would put unnecessary pressure on, you know, Urban Meyer to make a change if, for example, Dwayne Haskins gets the start in the first two games against Oregon State and Rutgers, he underperforms, he throws a bunch of picks, and the fan, and their starting fans to start getting on him and chanting, we want Burrow. So, I think, to Bill's point, I think fans probably recognize, like, Urban Meyer doesn't really have a bad option between the two, it's just which, it's just which do you think is the better chance to win you a national championship, and in a way... You can't. Not, I I shouldn't say you can't go wrong, because I think you do have a pair of very good options. This is why he gets paid seven and a half million dollars to ultimately decide. All right, do I want steak or do I want steak or do I want prime rib? Right. That's what that's what seven and a half million dollars is given to you to do. Yeah, I I, I do think that. Um, I I do think that. I, I don't I don't think I don't think it's gonna be nasty you know and again like I don't think I think I agree with you Tim that's like I think either choice is good I think the only wrong choice is not making a choice which is what they dealt with in 2015 a little bit and it's not really about the players it's about how it's handled um Seth Shaner at Shaner Bomb a question from last week we saved your quarterback questions from last week we're going to use some of them and then also use some of the new questions we got how possible is it that Urban Meyer gave Burrow the platform to showcase himself for potential suitors, but it was Haskins all along. I just don't look at Burrow and think, this is the guy who can beat Bama or Clemson. I believe in the right offense, Haskins can. Bill, do you do you think there's any part of that that like Urban was like giving Joe a platform? No, it seemed, it seemed fairly even to me. I, th- I know Burrow had a few more pass attempts, um, but I, I mean... I think he he was giving him a a, a platform in in the sense that he could like show off one last time in in front of people, but like not not at the expense of Dwayne Haskins. No. Okay, I I don't think so either. I think I think, and I don't think Urban would really think that way. I think he would think like I want to be fair to everybody for their competition here, but I don't know that he would say like, well, I'm going to give Joe a couple extra series or give him more reps in practice so that like he's better for when Nebraska gets him. You know, like, it's nice to be good to your guys, but team comes first. Here's There are two questions here that sound the same, but I actually think are very different, and I want to ask them together. One is from Andrew Ardle, our guy. His question is, after the spring game, 
have your worries about the quarterback position increased or decreased? And the second question is from Tyler Shoemaker, our guy at Buckeye Tie 23. Did you leave the spring game more or less confident in who the number one quarterback should be? So Andrew is asking about the quarterback position. Did you become more or less confident? Tyler's asking, did you become more or less confident in who the number one quarterback's going to be? And my answer is, I'm more confident in the position, Andrew, and less confident, Tyler, in who the number one guy is going to be. Tim, are you the same? Yes, I am. Landis? Yeah, I'm right there. So let's deal with the position group first. How, what is your level, how would you describe your level of confidence in the Ohio State quarterback room right now, Tim? And I'm going to throw Ryan Day into that equation as well, because we have seen here, obviously, how important the quarterback coach is. So in that room, when they shut that door, it's Ryan Day up at the front of the room with Dwayne Haskins, Joe Burrow, Tate Martell, Corey Curtis, who I follow on Twitter, and Matthew Baldwin, maybe with his leg up on a desk so um, he gets good circulation in his surgically repaired knee. That room, when that door shuts, Tim, and you're standing in the hallway, because you're a good journalist and you're sneaking around the woody trying to gather stuff, when that door shuts, do you look at that room and feel good about the people in that room? Yeah, scale of 1 to 10, I'd say an 8, because I feel like what we saw at the growth of Barrett last year... We saw a definite improvement improvement that we could actually like see and look at in the stats and how the offense looks. So there's there's confidence I have in Ryan Day's ability to, you know, improve and develop quarterbacks, especially when we thought Barrett's development stalled in the past two seasons. And he's clearly done some he did some good things with Haskins, coached him well through the second half of that Michigan game through I think very, you know, difficult circumstances. The only reason I don't keep it at a ten is because I'm concerned like if Ohio State's not going to just decide, okay, this is our guy, and we're going to roll with him through thick or thin, and he's our number one, we're going to ride or die with him. Any any bumps in the road, we're going to be okay with. That's the only concern I have because they they didn't do it three years ago. I know new coaches. I know new philosophy. There's just always that concern. Like it's already happened once. You don't want to have it again, even though you have two guys who seem pretty qualified for the job. Bill, when that door shuts and you look at that room, what's your number, one to ten? Uh, I'm like a, at a nine. I think I I really like Haskins and Burrow. I think either one, like we've said multiple times already, is equipped to uh, be productive for Ohio State to win the Big Ten, uh, to challenge for a national championship. Um, I agree with what Tim said about Ryan Day. I, I think he can develop quarterbacks, especially compared to his predecessor. Um, and I also, I, I really am intrigued by the Tate Martell wrinkle in whichever form that takes and, and what they're able to do with him because I think it happens regardless of who the starter is. That guy's going to play and he's going to do some stuff and he's going to be really exciting to watch. And the, the depth and talent in the quarterback room combined with the health of the guys too is, is unlike it's ever been at Ohio State. They had a good room before when they had Braxton and JT and Cardell, but those three guys were never all really healthy at the same time. Um, 
and available at the same time. And these three are, and I, I think we think one's going to leave, but at the moment as it's situated right now, and even if one of the two who doesn't get named starter does leave, um, I think that's a really healthy room with a guy who can be a good starter, a good quarterbacks coach, and a wild card in Tate Martell, who I think is going to do some exciting things. Yeah, I, I'm like almost a 10. And I think like the only room that I would like better would be like if a if if a returning Baker Mayfield was in it or a returning Deshaun Watson, like a returning Heisman winner. But I think when you look at the guy in the front of the room, I trust the guy in the front of the room. I trust Ryan Day to run the room, to put the quarterback on the field in a good position to be effective. And I just think I, I trust him to develop the guys in that room. And then I think like right now, you're one, two, three lined up like that. I, I just think is great. And I was asking Kevin Wilson about this the other day, about like the idea of of, of how hard it is to stack quarterbacks. And, and there's a thing that I really want to delve into in a fairly significant way, because I think it's a very interesting comparison for this room. But it's not easy, I think, in this day and age, where you at least, maybe it's, it's if you're at a big program, you can do it, but don't take it for granted that you can stack up three guys like Haskins, Burrow, Martell, and have them in your room. And if you could put a lock on that room, you know, like in the movies, um, they would like put the big chains mm-hmm. around the door handles, right? And they put it like, like I would do that. If Urban Meyer could like say, hey guys, uh, there's cupcakes in the quarterback's room. And then Ryan Day and Martell and Burrow and Haskins and Baldwin all go in there. And if he could lock them in there, until like the the point where you can like realistically transfer passes, I think he would do it. And if you could guarantee, and I think all Ohio State fans would agree with this, if you could guarantee that that room would stay intact for the 2018 season, you'd be ecstatic. Now, Urban has to manage it, as Tim said. That is the worry. But the worry to me is not really the room. It's the way Urban uses the room. But I really like how that room shakes out. The worry at the moment is who's going to open that. It's like an American, whatever. It's like, who's going to open the door on the next quarterback survivor? (laughs) Who's going to open the door and walk out like in the jersey of a different team? That's what you're freaked out about right now. But I think in that room... It's about as good as you could hope for. And, and Bill, as, as we get to the thing that I want to make a comparison to, when you look at recruiting, how hard do you think it is in this day and age to stack quarterbacks? To have, let's say, a, a top 100, top 150 overall recruit across all positions in class after class after class after class. Is that a difficult thing, or should Ohio State realistically be able to do it every year? Um, I, I think it's difficult, but, but other programs do it. Like Clemson is doing it now. Alabama has done it. It, it always leads, usually in Alabama's case in particular, it leads to a transfer. But, but Georgia has it going a little bit right now with, with Jake Fromm and Justin Fields. And so, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's not as, as impossible as I think it is. But I still think it's pretty difficult when you're, because you're, especially when you're recruiting guys who, Realistically or not, think they can play as true freshmen. Um, I think I think it happens, and I think it's at least part of the reason why Matthew Baldwin is at Ohio State and not Emory Jones. And that's not to say that I don't think Matthew Baldwin can eventually be good, but he is not 
same caliber of player coming out of high school that Emory Jones was. And I think there are a lot of things that went into that, but I think part of it was that too, that it is just really difficult to stack four to five star quarterback on top of four to five star quarterback in successive recruiting classes. All right, let's get to a G Nilly question before we get to my comparison. Our man Nathan with the Eric Davis avatar on Twitter at G Nilly ninety seven. If Urban tells Joe Burrow that it's an even competition and he could win the job in fall camp, does Burrow stay or go? Tim, if that's what Urban says to Joe Burrow, does he does he at least stay through the summer and go into the competition in the, in preseason camp? I if I, I put myself in Joe, Bur- Joe Burrow's shoes, I would go because if you're telling me that it's fifty fifty, but that if you go around and, and you look at a lot of schools you go to, you'd be like, I could I know for ninety percent certainty I could start here, 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 and here at schools that are not at Ohio State's level but are kind of the next tier down. Um, like Nebraska is an example, even though I did watch their spring game on Saturday and I like some of the stuff that freshman Adrian Martinez did at quarterback. Looks good, but getting off topic for a split second. Getting back to Burrow. Uh, if it's fifty fifty, I would rather bank my odds on a better chance to play. So if that case, if I think it's 50-50, I don't want 50-50. I want 80-20 some. I'd almost rather have 80-20 somewhere else so I could show off what I can do and maybe two years later get paid for it. What do you say, Landis? Yeah, if, 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 if that's a situation where it's not a definitive you're the guy, I, I, I think he probably will not stay around. I think he wants to hear a yes or no. But I So I was not at Joe Burrow post-game in the spring. I actually didn't say a word to Joe Burrow this spring. I've got to get him on my list for the fall. You were there when he spoke, right? Post-game, yep. Landis? Yeah. The way he said that it would be, didn't he use the word, it'll be devastating to leave Ohio State? Wasn't that his word? Yes. Yep. Won't, won't he be, if he leaves, if he leaves basically in the middle of the battle, in the middle of, and let's say that, and I don't want to get into the mind games too much. Let's just say that it really is. In Urban's mind, it actually is 50-50. He doesn't know. He's totally 100% open to either of them being the starter. Basically, it was a draw in the spring. Whoever is better in fall camp will start. Would it haunt Joe Burrow a little bit if he left before that battle was finished? Yeah, I think so. Like, I think he he certainly wants to be the starting quarterback at Ohio State, but and I, and this is me maybe guessing and maybe I'm wrong on this, but I think more than anything he wants to be the starting quarterback. He said that he said I want to start here. Or he said I, I want to start here. What was the exact quote? Oh, I gotta look it up now. But yeah, I think it I think it would haunt him. But I don't know. I think that's a, that's something you you sort of accept as 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 a possibility of. To, to feel that, if you think one, if, well, okay. Wants, let, let me yeah. ask. Let me ask this. Let me ask this because here I think is a very possible scenario. Joe Burrow, and and I, I love like to get in Urban's head, and I love to get in coaches' heads. It's hard to get in a kid's head because this is a kid's life, and he only gets one shot at it, and he's gonna do what's best for him, and I think everybody respects that. So I don't want to play games exactly with with Joe Burrow's future, but I just I want to present scenarios with the understanding that I believe Joe Burrow can make multiple good decisions here. And again that I think Joe Burrow has done great work to put himself in this spot that that he's not getting a definitive Dwayne's the guy you should probably leave complicates his life, but
but it's a good complication, I think. It's a complication Joe Burrow welcomes because it means he did a good job. So here's the scenario. Tell me how plausible you think this is both from the Ohio State perspective and from the perspective of Burrow accepting this and being okay with it. Urban says it's 50-50. We're going to pick the guy in preseason camp. Burrow says, I'm in for the fight, brother. He stays. They battle tooth and nail. It could go either way. Dwayne Haskins wins the battle in the last week of camp. Joe Burrow stays. Joe Burrow is Ohio State's backup quarterback the whole year. Dwayne Haskins plays really well. Ohio State has a really good season, whatever that means. I'm not going to guarantee a national championship because if you put a ring on the kid's finger, he's going to be pretty happy no matter what. So I'm not guaranteeing a national championship, but it's a Dwayne Haskins has a very good year and Ohio State has a very good year. And Joe Burrow's just the backup quarterback. But he's part, he knows he did his best. He knows he was practically as good as Dwayne Haskins. And then Joe Burrow leaves next year. And he absolutely, so, and I I don't want to get into, like, and then Dwayne Haskins, if if Dwayne Haskins turns pro, then maybe Joe Burrow stays. But I'm going to say, say Dwayne Haskins stays. Like, Dwayne Haskins just takes the job for two years. Do you think Joe Burrow would be upset by a world where he puts up the best fight he can get put up, Haskins wins the job, Ohio State has a great year, and then the result is that Joe Burrow ends up starting for one year at another program instead of two years at another program. Do you think Joe Burrow might be okay with that, Bill? Uh, yeah, I think so. Like, I, I, yeah, a little, yeah, a little bit. But I, he said I want to play somewhere. That was a quote I was looking for. And I was stumbling through my words. I was looking to find it. Um, and it's a very simple quote, and I forgot it. But yeah, he said I want to play somewhere. So I don't. Yes, I think that situation is okay. The one you just described. I don't like. He's not going to. Again, he's not going to stew all year, and he's not going to be disruptive to the team. I think he'll understand his role and be accepting of it. I just don't know if he'd even be willing to put himself in that situation. I think I think he came into the spring wanting an answer by the end of it. Some kind of if if there's no answer, then that's an answer. I think for him because he wants to play somewhere. He wants to play for two years. I don't think he wants to put himself on the back burner again. Okay. All right. We were looking for this. This is our this is our man Chad M, who has my avatar, has my head. <laughs> I look very my my hair looks very gray in his avatar, and it makes me feel bad about how gray my hair actually is. When I let my hair grow out, I feel like maybe like it's longer. I can't tell if it looks more gray or less gray. And I'll tell you guys this, Landis. How old are you? Twenty nine. How old are you, Tim? Twenty nine. All right. How old am I? What year is it? I'm forty four. I, my whole life, thought to myself, I'm never going to dye my hair. Like, they have, there's always these commercials on about just for men and, like, you magically comb stuff in your hair or your beard and, like, the gray goes away. Or maybe there's only a tiny bit of gray, just enough to make you distinguish. And I was like, who am I trying to kid? I'm not a male model. I'm just some guy sitting in his own farts in his basement writing stories and doing podcasts I'm never going to dye my hair. Whatever happens to my hair happens to my hair. I'm thinking of dyeing my hair. So I'm just telling you guys this now. Getting old, man. You know, like you think when you're younger, you think, you know what? Like you just, you live your life, you're not going to worry about that stuff. And then you get old and you start looking at pictures of yourself and you get all self-conscious. And it just changes your outlook. So I'm just trying to give you guys 
what I would like to do is, while you're still young, start to make you panic about getting old. So I hope I just did that. Well, I already feel like an old person. My, I, my, the inside joke of my family is like I'm a 60 year old man. In, met, uh, in, my brain is a 60 year old person, but I'm really 29. Like I'm older than I am. I can see that. I can see you. Yeah, you you might have the brain of a 60 year old. Landis, you panic about getting old? Or are you okay? Uh, no. Like I need to lose some weight. <laughs> I'm getting when I let my hair grow out, I get a little little dusting around the temples, and uh, I'm I'm all right with it. Okay. Clooney has Clooney has salt and pepper hair, and the ladies love him. Yeah, he has a he has like a billion dollars too. If you have oh, a billion yeah. dollars, yeah. your your hair can be purple, and people don't care. Um, all right, Chad M has like a tweet stream that I just realized is all connected, and like tells the story of the person he is. Haskins in 17, Burrow in 18, and I just want to read it. Chad M. at Sneela187. I'm really emotional about quarterback. I was a diehard Haskins or bust guy at the start of the spring. Starting with the tire pull video where we saw like Joe Burrow fighting, fighting to the death on a little thing or whatever. Um, and with what I thought was a great spring game, I might even be a Burrow lean. So he goes from Haskins or bust to a possible Burrow lean. I have been thinking a lot about the discussion about out-of-state five-stars or the in-state Ohio kid discussion that you guys had this time last year. Maybe this is influencing me. From the last pod, one amazing season with Haskins would be better than two great seasons with Burrow, which I completely agree with. However, one amazing season with Burrow would be far better than one amazing season with Haskins. I think both are very NFL draftable quarterbacks. If it really is as close as it seems to me, I'm going to be super bummed to see Joe transfer. That's what you were talking about, Tim. Like the Ohio kid thing. And that that's a fan that the Ohio kid thing is having some influence on them. But it's just interesting. Again, we almost we almost started crying after the spring game. Bill did, at least, about the quarterbacks. <laughs> Bill, do you think there are a lot of fans who are sort of feeling this co- this conflict? And again, it's a as Urban Meyer would say, I'd rather have three good ones than no good ones. But do you think that there are people who have like their stomachs turned to knots trying to figure this out? Yeah, no, yeah, I do. I think a lot of people do. You want to, like, well, of course, and why wouldn't you? You want them both. They're both really good. You'd rather you'd rather have one of them sitting on the bench on your team than than playing for like Nebraska next year. And like Dwayne Haskins can't play next year if he were to transfer. But yeah, like, I I understand that sentiment fully, and it's kind of like and I, I'm not not for the same reasons. Like I don't like it has no impact on my emotions. Actually, what happens? But um, it's yeah, I don't I I want. This quarterback room is fascinating, and the more people that are in it, the more fascinating it is. So, like on a selfish level, like wanting to write about an interesting quarterback room would be better for us if they were all around, wouldn't it? Um, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, I get that sentiment. Okay. All right. I want to go to Tate a little bit before I get to my comparison. I'm teasing you with a comparison because it, the comparison is we're going to talk about something in Ohio State football that is interesting on its own, but I think relates to this quarterback battle in a way. But I want to talk Tate a little bit, Tim. Another G. Nilly question. How can Urban see Tate Martell's limited passing skills and say with a straight face that's a three-way competition? Do, like, do you really believe in the end that it really is a three-way competition, or is Urban just saying stuff like to keep Tate interested? I think I think it's Urban saying <coughs> stuff to keep Tate interested, and he says that because 
Tate has that dynamic running dimension that Haskins and Burrow just don't have. Again, I've, I've mentioned to it several times, there were multiple zone option RPO plays that Tate Martell ran that you just can't imagine Dwayne Haskins or Joe Burrow running to the same effectiveness and the same explosiveness, which is why I think there's a lot of credence to the idea of the Tate Martell package, however you want to run it, that you're always going to have that as a changeup, that that's always going to be an option, but that you... You're always going to have the two quarterbacks who are out there 90, per, 90 to 95% of the time throwing the ball, running the offense, and then certain situations change it up. You throw 18 out there and you run some form, some variant of some spread triple option or RPO, whatever crazy combination you want to come up with that's deep in your playbook. But as far as starting quarterback, and I saw someone else uh, ask a question similar to this, like how could Ohio State win if like Tate Martell's a starter. Like, I have the. I'm a professional podcast host. Tim. All I right, have the questions I, lined up. All right, I, I mean, I saw the question, and I might be answering it with this one, but you would you would have to do something so diametrically different with Martell as your quarterback because his throwing is not where Dwayne Haskins and Joe Burrow's throwing is. So, so Landis, Tim is is looking over my shoulder. He jumped the gun on the Eloy R Hernandez question at Eloy O one seven. If either Haskins or Burrow transfers, do you think Tate has what it takes to win games should the starting quarterback go down? Landis first, then Tim. Bill, could they win at a high level with Tate if he's the number two guy this year and an injury forces him to play? Yeah, I think so. I mean, they he, he did not throw the ball well in the spring game, and but Ryan Day seemed like kind of pleased with the way that Tate improved as a passer this spring, and... I suspect that that improvement will continue throughout the summer and, and in August when camp starts. Um, and we saw what he does with his legs. Yeah, he'd be he'd be one of the more dynamic quarterbacks in the country. So I certainly think they could win at a high level with Tate the quarterback. Tim, how high of a level do you think? Uh, maybe a, in a similar vein to what we've seen from JT. I don't. He's not going to win game with with his arm, especially not right away. But what he'll do dynamic with his running ability, I think, will be enough. You know, to negate the fact that he's not that strong a thrower at the moment. He can get there. But they're gonna. They would have to lean on the run game pretty heavily right away until they have confidence in Martell's arm. I think. I mean, depending what it was, you'd have to change the offense. But, but I think I could almost see a world where. Let's let's say. I mean, let's say that 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 something happened and week four, something happens. In the TCU game or after the TCU game or something, then starting week four, like before you get to Penn State, Tate Martell is the starting quarterback of the Ohio State Buckeyes. I could see, I think I could see a world where Ryan Day and Kevin Wilson and Urban Meyer get in the bunker and come out with a new offense where Tate Martell throws the ball 15 times a game and only four of them go more than like 15 yards past the line of scrimmage and you play like your best blocking receivers, and you're pretty good. Like, do you think there's a version of this offense that is a run Tate, run Dobbins and Weber, quick stuff to McCall and Campbell, the occasional shot to the receivers, but a very heavy option-style spread zone read running attack that could work? Could that work, Tim? As you said it, a vision popped in my head. The Alabama offense of the last two seasons with Jalen Hurts, that's almost exactly what it was. Jalen is not a great thrower. He can run amazingly. And I'm not saying that Tate's a worse thrower than Jalen Hurts because we've only seen Tate Martell throw 16 passes with our own eyes. 
But I could see a world where that would be the exact kind of offense Ohio State would run. They'd look at Jalen Hurts' film from last season when they got all the way to the first half of the playoff game with Jalen as the quarterback, and then they put Tua in, and the rest is history. But they could run an offense very similar to that. You have the running backs. You have the skill position players in Paris Campbell, DeMario McCall, to make that work. It would just be a matter of would they be willing to commit to that, and if Martell can replicate that same kind of ability. Bill, could they beat Penn State and Michigan State and Michigan with that offense if Tate Martell was forced to be the starter? Yeah, I think so. That's a good comparison Tim made because uh, I was about to say that I don't think they can win a national championship doing that, but then Alabama's done it. But yeah, so yeah, I think so. I think so. I, 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 I that's not like I, I still wouldn't want Tate. I think right now over the other two guys, but I don't think it's impossible for them to have some success if they tailor the offense to Tate. All right, let's do one more Tate question. Brock Doctor, and again, these are still all the old questions from last week. We're going to get to the new questions later, some of which are about the quarterback, some are not. Brock Doctor, what formation and personnel would best complement a Tate Martell package, i.e. Tate and Mike Weber with two tight ends and McLaurin and Mack, who are both excellent blockers out wide? We can talk personnel, but just like to expand on that a little bit, like Landis, when you think of the Tate Martell package, what is your idealized version of the other players on the field, how often they use it, when they use it, where on the field they use it? If I think everybody is kind of hopeful and expecting some version of a wild Tate, but like, what's, what's the perfect implementation of that? Yeah, I think that's it. I think something, something tailored more, more toward the, the perimeter run game. Um, and and not necessarily to a downfield passing game. So I, I like the idea of, of maybe not two tight ends. I, I think I would maybe rather have two running backs in the backfield and like just go full on triple option. And have but but obviously a more sophisticated passing game built off of that. But so have Tate Martell, J.K. Dobbins, Mike Weber in the back backfield together, one tight end, and then a couple of receivers. Um, but I, I like that the suggestion is good. But I want, I want if we're going down the Tate Martell road, then I want Tate Martell with all of Ohio State's best playmakers on the field with him, and let's do some weird stuff. No, I think that I think that's a good point. You don't want to like, okay, Tate Martell's in, so like Demario McCall and J.K. Dobbins and Paris Campbell are off the field. I think yeah. that makes a lot of sense, Tim. As we think about this package, and I've, I've I laid out the scenario, I guess last week or the week before, I think it was last week about like second and four from the eleven yard line, tied at seventeen in the Penn State game, but. When you think about a Tate Martell package, at least when Tate's at quarterback, and I know we've talked about maybe Tate playing a little slot receiver or something. When you think about Tate at quarterback, is that a red zone package to you? Is that is there like a series that like, oh, it's the fourth series of, of the game as a changeup, we're putting Tate in for first and ten at the twenty-five? Is it is it he goes in in the red zone and runs four or five straight plays or do you think when we talk about the Tate Martell package we're really talking like one play as a wrinkle then get him out then maybe one play a quarter later then get him out or could you keep him in the the game for a stretch I would experiment first with the one play at a time because I think if you do the one play at a time especially early the best the, the way to do it is if it's in the middle of a drive and you get the third and one and then all of a sudden Dwayne Haskins leaves and Tate Martell comes in in a situation where you could potentially, at the very minimum, have the other team scrambling then force them to burn their timeout. 
and then you do, and then it's initially decoy. Maybe the first time they try it or whatever, but. I don't know if you could strictly make it a red zone thing because then that's something teams are going to game plan against is like, we're going to force Dwayne Haskins to beat us in the red zone, not Tate Mortel. You want to have the ability to use it at any situation on the field. I keep coming back to the Tim Tebow package that Urban Meyer had his first year of Florida. There was anywhere in the field, like third and short was Tim Tebow time, where they would just run him straight into the line and, or have him pull off the jump pass for the touchdown. Um... You have to be willing, if you're going to commit to the Martell package, you have to be willing to use it anywhere on the field, I think. Not just pigeonhole him into red zone package. I am making a note for the Tim Bielek studies, the Tim Tebow freshman year Urban Meyer usage at Florida, and tries to figure out how you use that with a quarterback in Tate Martell who's very different than than Tim Tebow but I think a lot of the strategy of why you would go to it might be the same. Are you up for that? If I can find film, for, a lot of film from that 2006 season, that's going to be the, that's the tricky part is every game from like, you know, the last two, three years is up on YouTube. I don't know I how know. many are from the 2006 season other than maybe the SEC title game and that Fiesta Bowl championship game. I covered college football uh, during the 2006 season when both of you guys were in uh, elementary school. And the, and the games themselves, not just the broadcasts, the games themselves were played in black and white. They, they, they were not even colored uniforms back then. Just That's every, how you guys gather around the radio. Yeah, everybody, and, and Joe Paterno coached every team. <laughs> All right, I'm, I'm teasing you with this comparison. We're going to take a quick break here on Buckeye Talk, then come back with more of your questions and a comparison that I think helps illustrate what's going to happen in the quarterback room. And I just did a version of, like, Bill Simmons always does jokes about how he's doing a Mike Greenberg tease. I did a Lamarice version of a Simmons version of a Greenberg tease on the 1,461st most popular podcast in North America. We'll be right back. We want to take a minute to make sure you guys are listening to our other podcasts here at Cleveland.com. We've got the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Dan Labe, Mary Kay Cabot talking about the Browns. Wine and Gold Talk. That's the Cavs. That's Joe Varden, Chris Fedor. Cleveland Baseball Talk. Paul Hoynes, Joe Noga talking about the Indians. And then my other podcast, Takes by the Lake. We did uh, four NFL draft preview podcasts in the last eight days. Uh, breaking down everything about the Browns. We get into a little Ohio State stuff. So if you guys are subscribed to Buckeye Talk, that's great. Wherever you're subscribed there, try to get subscribed to those other podcasts separately. Takes by the Lake, Wine and Gold Talk, Orange and Brown Talk, Cleveland Baseball Talk. Thanks for listening to our Cleveland.com array of sports podcasts. And now back to Buckeye Talk. Okay, we're back on Buckeye Talk. Here's what I want to talk about, because this was the biggest news of the week in Ohio State. Antonio Williams is transferring to North Carolina. He is leaving the Ohio State running back room, where he was clearly the third tailback, um, where some people got very excited because Antonio Williams talked this spring, and Tony Alford said good things about him, and people were trying to figure out how Antonio Williams was going to be involved in the offense, and no offense to Antonio Williams, but the answer always was, and the proof is that he transferred, the answer always was he's not going to be involved because he has two really good guys ahead of him, 
And they're trying to figure out how to get J.K. Dobbins and Mike Weber the ball enough. They're not bringing a third guy into the mix. So if he would have gotten a couple carries and blowouts or whatever, that's fine. He wants more than that. And he was not going to get it here ever, no matter what anybody said in the spring. It's just math. Show me the last time Ohio State worked three tailbacks into the game plan, at least like since Woody Hayes left. Okay? So... That was always the deal. And if you'll notice at Cleveland.com, we never wrote like a, hey, Antonio Williams is fighting for, because it wasn't true. It's not about, you know, we're not writing stories for the coaches and the players. We're writing stories for you. It was never true, okay? Here's my point. This was the Ohio State running back room, the top three running backs. They had the 75th overall recruit in the class of 2015, Mike Weber, they had the 169th overall recruit in the class of 2016, Antonio Williams. And they had the 46th overall recruit in the class of 2017, J.K. Dobbins. And that was too many dudes. Overall recruits, 46, 75, 169. The Ohio State quarterback room at the moment includes the number 280 overall recruit in the class of 2015, Joe Burrow. The number 91 overall recruit in the class of 2016, Dwayne Haskins. And the number 56 overall recruit in the class of 2017, Tate Martell. Quarterback recruits overall ranking in their classes, 56, 91, 280. The Ohio State running back room is better recruiting-wise than the Ohio State quarterback room. And so as we sit here and talk about what's going to happen with these quarterbacks, I think the running back room just showed you what's going to happen with these quarterbacks because they can play two running backs. Two running backs can play in a game. Two quarterbacks don't play in a game unless you're screwing things up. And their Antonio Williams felt like there was no room for him. So I think we all kind of know what's going to happen in the quarterback room. And I know I just like laid out scenarios for like how Joe Burrow could stay. But my comparison is, if Antonio Williams couldn't wait any longer to play, there's no way three quarterbacks are going to sit around and wait to play. Do you buy the comparison? Yep, and I agree 100%. Same with me. And I wonder how much of this decision was kind of made in Antonio Williams' mind the second Mike Weber announced he was coming back. Because, I mean, if Williams was the number three, Weber the number two, Weber was the number one obstacle to Williams getting any meaningful carries. With Weber coming back, there was no way Antonio Williams was going to get any significant carries, barring a bunch of injuries. I do think we had the question earlier about was Urban trying to showcase Joe Burrow? I do, and we were like, no, no, of course not. I actually do think they were showcasing Antonio Williams this spring. Tony Alford said a lot of nice things about Antonio Williams. They they acted like he was in the mix. Again, it, he never was. It's just truth. It's just logic. Um, but but I think they were trying to like get his name out there, and he wound up transferring to North Carolina, which seems like a really good landing spot for him. But but I just don't think again. He's a 2016 guy. He's in between Weber, who was the 15 class, and Dobbins, who was the 17 class. Landis, is there anything Antonio Williams could have done, or is this just the squeeze that happens in big time college football? 
No, that's the squeeze, and don't forget he had, he has Master Teague and Brian Seed coming behind him too. So it was it was yeah, it was not looking likely that at any point in his career that Antonio Williams was going to be a featured ball carrier in this offense. Okay, so I wanted to make that quarterback point. I suppose in the end, I teased the hell out of that thing to make like an obvious point that my point was a quarterback's <laughs> going to transfer, which is like we've been talking about a quarterback's going to transfer since the first day of spring when Bill Landis stepped on Urban Meyer's neck and said, don't you owe Joe Burrow an answer? You owe him an answer! Right, Landis? Yeah, yep, that's exactly how I said it. Yeah. Um, you can't handle the quarterbacks. <laughs> I have a question about Antonio Williams, and I always I always think about this, and I think this is about as good of an illustration as I have seen happen at Ohio State in my time. I'm sure there are other ones, but this one is perfect to me. Antonio Williams was the number 169 overall player in the class of 2016. He was the number seven overall running back in that class. He was originally committed to Wisconsin. And then when Ohio State lost Kareem Walker, who had been a commitment to Ohio State at running back and then decommitted, Antonio Williams decommitted from Wisconsin and shortly thereafter committed to Ohio State. Wisconsin in that class as their running back, wound up with a kid named Sam Brodner, who was the number 532 overall player in that class. Again, Antonio Williams was 169. So they didn't really have a a go-to guy in the 2016 class at running back. Now, Brodner also tore his ACL. I think he's back this spring. Um, But what happened was that Wisconsin wound up getting a running back in the 2017 class. His name was Jonathan Taylor. He was the number 24 running back in the country. Again, Antonio Williams was number seven. Antonio Williams coming out of high school was 5'11", 210 pounds. Jonathan Taylor was six feet, 211 pounds. Antonio Williams came to Ohio State. He decommitted from Wisconsin to come to Ohio State as a North Carolina kid. Jonathan Taylor went to Wisconsin last year and got in the Heisman conversation, became the go-to running back for a Wisconsin team that was undefeated and a national title contender. And you know what? I'm not sure he's any better than Antonio Williams. I think if Antonio Williams had kept his commitment to Wisconsin, he might be living Jonathan Taylor's life right now. Instead, he flipped to the bigger school where he could not break through on the running back depth chart, and now he's transferring. This is my question, Bill Landis and then Tim Bielek. For some kids in this situation, when you have a chance to go to a good school and be the guy, is Ohio State the wrong choice for you? Hmm. That's tough. That's a tough question to answer because I don't like it. Doesn't always play out the way it played out for Antonio Williams. Um, Brady Taylor flipped from Virginia Tech, and he probably would have played sooner Virginia Tech than he did at Ohio State. He's going to wait five years before he gets first starting job, but I think it can work out for guys. Um, I mean, from a pure like football playing perspective, I, I think that can be the case. 
Um, but it's hard for me to say, like, so pointedly that Ohio State can be wrong because there's so much more that goes into a decision, I think. I also think that uh, uh, just part of the Antonio Williams story that needs to be mentioned is the fact that he trashed Wisconsin's quarterback while he was a commit there and was never going to go there anyway. Well, yeah, I know, but, like, I feel like... I don't know the exact timing, but like, was he mentally? He must have been like mentally checked out by then because he figured out he wasn't going to go there or something, right? Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, he was still a commit, but yeah, and like one of their, I think their running backs coach like like strongly hinted that the reason he wasn't on the team wasn't in the classes because of what he said. He said they weren't going to be elite until Joel Stave was no longer the quarterback, which, by the way, was true. Um, <laughs> Truth but, hurts. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but no, I, I guess I see what you're saying. Um, I don't know. I don't know if I'm willing, quite willing to go to go that far to say it's it's the wrong decision. Tim, I think when it comes down to kit to seventeen, eighteen year old kids, and you hear this all the time. You know, I heard this a couple times. You know, from some of the guys we spoke to on around senior day at Ohio State that when you come in, that you think you're hot stuff, that you can go in anywhere, and then when you get to college, it's a completely different ball game. Um, you know, I think God, I think maybe in the case of Antonio Williams, he he saw he saw Mike Weber and correct me if I'm wrong, he committed before J.K. Dobbins committed for seventeen. Mm-hmm. So he didn't know J.K. Dobbins was going to come and steal the number one job and run away with it. He saw Mike Weber there. He's thinking, you know what? I just have to beat out one guy. We're going to compete for playing time, and I'm sure most kids want the opportunity to compete and be on a big stage to be at like the elite program. And Ohio State is, even though Wisconsin's a very good program, it's not on the level of Ohio State, which is contending for titles year after year. So you, I'm sure there's kids that think like I just want to, like they're they think they're good enough to compete, and there's certainly no reason they don't think they can. They dominate the high school level. That level. That's why they're four star recruits. They they know they know they're good. They want to get themselves a shot. And sometimes it just doesn't work out. And in this case of Williams, it just didn't work out for him. Nope. Totally disagree. Listen, like, again, I know Wisconsin's not as good as Ohio State. They they were undefeated. They played Ohio State for the Big Ten Championship last year to go to the playoff. Like, to be, like Wisconsin, if Wisconsin had beaten Ohio State, they would have been in the playoff. I think there are kids. I mean, when Antonio Williams committed here, I didn't. Here's a th- and I want to say this. Antonio Williams has been tweeting about this. A lot of his Tony Alford has had a million retweets and quote tweets of Antonio Williams. Antonio Williams does not appear to be leaving Ohio State with any regrets. He has teammates who love him. He has a position coach who loves him. I think he did everything he was supposed to do here. He just didn't win a starting job, which happens to more kids than not. Most a lot of guys come here and don't win starting jobs. So I don't know, like, I think I might be regretting Antonio Williams' decision on his behalf, even though he may not regret it. So good luck to him at North Carolina. I hope he has a great career. And there's lots of kids, not just at Ohio State, but all over the place, where it doesn't work out quite the way you wanted it to. But I will say, there are times when you see a kid, and and a lot of times it is a flip. A lot of times it is a flip. And not always. Sometimes it's, it's just, you know... A kid who makes a choice. But but there are times, every now and then, we'll have a kid, like an Ohio kid, who Ohio State's in on him. And like that kid will pick Michigan State. And sort of you think, why would that kid pick Michigan State? And, and part of the reason is, well, 
Michigan State's almost as good as Ohio State. Michigan State at times in my lifetime, as a kid, as a high school kid, is thinking this. Michigan State is sometimes better than Ohio State. They've beaten Ohio State in big games. They've gone farther than Ohio State in some seasons. But yet, when I go there, I just know there's not as much individual talent there. I have a better shot to do something. I can be the exact same player, and I just have a better shot to do something at Michigan State or Wisconsin. And so when that kid goes to Michigan State, I think sometimes we're shocked. of like, wow, how could a kid turn down Ohio State to go to Michigan State? And a lot of times it's the right choice for that kid because he might be the number two receiver at Michigan State and he would have been the number seven receiver at Ohio State. And, and it just sometimes I just every now and then you'll see a kid who winds up at Ohio State and I just think, oh, man, I hope it works out for you. But I think you just doomed yourself to future transfer status and you just gave up the chance to be the man somewhere really good. And you guys can all line up your emails right now and talk about how like everybody wants to be a competitor. And if you don't believe in yourself, you don't belong on a football field and whatever. And I get it. But you're also allowed to be realistic. And I just think Antonio Williams might have been an 1,800-yard rusher for an undefeated regular season team in the Big Ten last year. And instead, he's a kid who's never really played and is now transferring. And I just think it's something to keep in mind. I'm not trying to like recruit against Ohio State. A Wisconsin coach could, or Michigan State coach could cut out a clip of this podcast and play it to a recruit and probably make a point. But I just, Antonio Williams was a kid when he flipped. I thought, oh man, I wonder about that. Like, I wonder about that. Best of luck to him. But man, you just like, you just like dove into the hornet's nest, man. There's a guy already there, and there are more coming. You said he came before J.K. Dobbins committed. Well, he didn't know that J.K. Dobbins was going to come. He knew somebody was coming. When Ohio State gets the number 169 running back in a class, you know they're getting a top 50 kid in the next running back class because they're actually probably telling that kid, well, look, look at who's in front of you. Nobody you can't beat out. So I just think it's an interesting peek at the realistic world. Good luck to Antonio Williams, but... I hope he had a good experience at Ohio State, and it sounds like he did. But sometimes when you're trying to play, like the real answer is maybe Ohio State's not the right place for you. Go to Wisconsin and be the man. Don't come here and be third string to Mike Weber and J.K. Dobbins. Landis, you think I'm nuts still? I'm just tired of the negative recruiting that happens on this podcast. Yeah, I believe that. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna get, I might get a call. I might get a call for this one. Um, all right. I have a robot thing I want to talk about briefly, but I just talked for 10 minutes, so let's get to some questions. Um, oh, man. All right. I haven't even looked at these, but let's just randomly jump in. Okay. Oh, Cynical Negro has, a, has one that actually relates. Cynical Negro at NWDrone410. With Antonio Williams transferring, does that mean we will actually see Master Teague in junk time, or will they still try to redshirt him Bielek, what do you think? So the depth chart at running back now is Dobbins and Weber, and then they have Master Teague and uh, Brian Sneed in this class as the two freshmen. Those, those will be the four guys in the running back room. What do they do in, in garbage time and second-half blowouts? I think they'll end up redshirting one of those two backs, and based on what we saw at Teague, there's, a, there's things to like that give you the impression that in the future he could do something at Ohio State. And he looked healthy. I think that was a big thing. He missed most of his senior season due to an injury. 
but he looked he got some burst in the game in the spring game. Take I mean take everything you see in the spring game from a grain of with a grain of salt, but there's no reason, you know, fourth quarter Oregon State, Rutgers, certain games like that, he'll get a handful of carries get some freshman experience, and then come back as a sophomore contending to be the number two back. What do you think the running back room looks like behind Dobbins and Weber? And what do they do, Landis? Uh, yeah, I think one of them will redshirt. One of the incoming freshmen will redshirt just because I think you want to create some kind of separation between Brian Seed and Master Teague. And I don't know who it's going to be. Teague, I think, has a leg up because he was here in the spring. Brian Seed was at the spring game, and and Master Teague is like a, is like, an impressive dude physically. Like, he looks like a grown man, and he's a freshman in college. And he got talked a lot, talked about a lot because of that. And then I saw Brian Snead walk out of the tunnel, and I thought the exact same thing when I saw him. Like, he is a well-put-together dude who looks like he can play right away, too, at least from a physical standpoint. So I'm not going to be surprised one bit if Brian Snead shows up and he's the guy who plays his way to the third spot in the running back pecking order. But I do think that one of them will redshirt just because it makes sense to split up the... the, the uh, eligibility yeah i kind of like this when they have uh like two guys at a skill position uh it reminds me uh they brought in jeff hireman and nick vanette in the same recruiting class at tight end and basically i think said like it's like you roll out the ball and say go get it um jeff hireman played as a freshman nick vanette redshirted that gave vanette one more year of eligibility after jeff hireman and they both wound up as third round picks in the nfl draft that that nick vanette Sat for a year while Hireman played. They ended up being like playing a lot together, and then Vanette had an extra year to be the man. So I like the idea sometimes of like, listen, man, we got two of you in this class, but we're not going to play both of you in garbage time because it would that would be a waste. So who wants the second half carries against Tulane? That's what you're competing for in the preseason, and I think that could be a very interesting battle. And I think it's a nice little thing to like give two guys who clearly aren't going to be part of the actual offensive game plan a, a reason to compete. And I think, I think, I think what you guys said, I mean, I think they're both capable and I think it'll be a fun thing to watch. Peter Sherman at 42 Wallaby way. What are your go-to orders at your office? And that means McDonald's Landis. What do you get at McDonald's? Uh, they change the numbers a lot. Whatever the, the 10 piece chicken nugget is. I think it's a number seven now. So let me ask do you do you love nuggets? Like, do you crave nuggets? Do you look forward to nuggets? Or are they just the best thing at the place where they have big booths and free drinks and Wi-Fi? Uh, like both. Like, I, I enjoy a good chicken nugget, but I don't know if I would say that McDonald's chicken nuggets are awesome. Like, they're probably third of my nugget my nugget pecking order, um, but I still think they're pretty good. But it's a little, it's a combination of both. I, I am a big fan of nuggets, but I also think it's the best thing on the menu. Do you ever get a hamburger, something with the meat patty at McDonald's? Yeah, yeah, I do. Um, I, I don't, I don't dislike their burgers. Like every now and then, I'll get a. I used to get the, used to be the number two was a two cheeseburger meal, but it's, I don't think I think you can still order it, but it's not among the numbers anymore on the menu. Um, I used to get that a lot too, and I, I get a, I get a McDouble every now and then. Bielik. Do you eat when we go to McDonald's, or do you not eat? I eat, usually. I usually end up getting quarter pounder meal. Quarter pounder meal. Do you get the quarter pounder with all the stuff on it, or do you alter the order at all? I alter it a little bit. Usually, most days, just like cheese and ketchup. Just give me straight to the meat, straight to the cheese. <laughs> I think in the, in the regard that... I, get me straight to the meat. That's Tim Bielik's life credo. I'm going to get you a t-shirt. Get me straight to the meat, Tim Bielik. 
Oh, wow. That's, um, the reason I, I would pick the quarter pound over chicken nuggets is I feel like McDonald's chicken nuggets are a little inconsistent. Sometimes we'll get great ones, and then get sometimes ones that are just like, mm. I feel like the quarter pounder is least consistent. You know, it may not mm. be the best thing on the menu, but you know every time you're getting something that's solid, something that isn't going to like, you're not going to eat this like, oh, I regret this. Why did I pick this? Even though at the same time also you're not getting like, the Angus Prime Filet Steak or whatever you want to call it. It's something solid and something reliable. You know what's consistent? Meat paste in a bun, which is what I get. So that that is the consistency because Peter's second question is, Doug, why of all things do you get two hockey pucks in a bun? Plain double hamburger, previous tweet of yours. It's just what I do. I can't really explain it. My fast food palate is stuck in like a Happy Meal thing. Like I have the fast food palate of a five-year-old. Um, in other ways, my palate is a little more expanded, but um, not at fast food places. I get I get a Happy Meal kind of thing. So I, I am who I am. Jordan Steele out the Jordan Steele. Are you concerned that if a player of Dwayne Haskins' caliber doesn't get the starting job at Ohio State, that elite quarterback prospects will take notice and not want to come to Ohio State in the future? Is there any way, Tim, that like Dwayne Haskins not winning the job could have a negative effect on quarterback recruiting? No, I don't believe that, you know, for a second. And I think the number one comparison that's going to take me to is Grant Cannell, who right now is by far Ohio State's top quarterback target. And I don't think anything that happens with Dwayne Haskins this season would affect Grant Cannell one way or another. I mean, they're going to continue to get top quarterbacks. There's going to be a top quarterback almost every year that decides he wants to commit to Ohio State. You can only get – I wrote about this when I think Sam Howell committed to Florida State – the reason they're getting quarterbacks like Haskins, and in this case, they're shitty quarterbacks like Canel, you can only get what's available. You cannot magically make a Baker Mayfield or a Michael Vick appear out of thin air. You can only take what's available. And so they're going to they're gonna go for who's, who's there. And I don't know if those kids will be dissuaded and have a four-star kid in 2021 thinking, oh, man, Dwayne Haskins didn't get the job, and I don't want to go there because Dwayne Haskins didn't start at Ohio State. There's... Is- is Grant Cannell a thrower or a dual threat? He's more. He's, he's a, a what? He's a thrower. He's like he's a six six gunslinger. So let me. So so if if somehow Urban Meyer in Ohio State ends up leaning toward a dual threat guy in this competition, you're telling me that the six six big arm gunslinger being recruited by Ohio State wouldn't see that the guy who has the big arm didn't win the job and wouldn't see that Urban Meyer seems to like quarterbacks who can run, and wouldn't see that Urban Meyer, even with Dwayne Haskins on his roster, sitting right in front of him, went with the dual threat guy, that would have no effect? No, I think it would. Because I, I, there's, a, there's a secondary question tied to this, right? And I, we talked about it before. Now, I do think, as I think I said this in the last podcast, I do think that, that Joe Burrow is a good enough passer that they can run very similar offenses with Burrow and with Haskins, just sort of minor tweaks. But there's a philosophical question like that's underneath all of this thing. is like, what is this offense going to be? What kind of quarterback is this offense going to be tailored to? And going with a guy who is more similar to JT, I think, can suggest to some quarterbacks who fancy themselves more pro-style pocket passers, whatever you want to call it, um, they can look at that and think, well, well, what are they doing here? Why, why do I want to go to play at the program that continuously leans more towards a dual-threat quarterback? I guarantee that the schools recruiting against Ohio State, if Dwayne Haskins doesn't win the job, they will point out to the big arm pocket passers that Ohio State is recruiting, 
that the guy who's most like them on the roster was the guy not chosen to start. That will be pointed out by other schools, I guarantee it. I think it might have an effect. Jian Wu, always ask good questions at TWO underscore numeral four underscore WU. It felt like in 2015, Urban deep down wanted JT to win the quarterback battle at the beginning of the year. This is a great question. Who do you think Urban really wants deep down this year? This is what I like to do. Get me in that $7 million head, baby. I feel bad crawling into those amateur heads where they're just trying to like play video games and eat canes. I want to get in that big house, that, that $7 million head. This is why he makes the money. Bill Landis, deep down in his heart and soul, the thing he wouldn't tell anybody, that he only thinks to himself at night as he lays in his bed, as he's watching Westworld, falling asleep on the couch, fearing that robots are eventually going to become college football coaches. <laughs> what deep down does Urban Meyer want to have happen with this quarterback battle? Everybody stay. <laughs> I mean, clearly, I think that's obvious. But like, that's number one. Like, He doesn't even care who the starter is. As long as everybody stays, right now, yeah, I think I think I think right now he would he would like to keep it so that everybody can stay and then figure it out later because he doesn't have to have a starter right now. But I think it, he knows it's to it's a it's to Ohio State's benefit and to Program X's detriment that Joe Burrow stays at Ohio State. So um, I think first and foremost on his mind is is keeping all three here. And I'm not, I'm not saying he's out to like deliberately deceive people to make that happen. Um, but I think I think there is there is a way that, that there's a scenario that keeps them all here. We talked about it before. I think it's a small chance, but I think there's there is a chance. Um, but I th- I think that's where he's at right now. I don't I don't think he's ready to name a starter. I don't think he's BSing us when he says that. I don't I don't think he's ready. So I think at the moment, priority one is is trying to find a way to keep this quarterback group that we just lavish praise on twenty minutes ago about how awesome it is. Uh, keep it intact. What's what's he thinking at night, Tim? I, I'm kind of right in the line with Bill that it's almost like you want to press pause on what you have in the quarterback room and keep it there and just hit play when fall camp starts. Like, you don't want anything to change. You don't want any guy to leave. You don't want any guy to, you know, accidentally get hurt and be out three, four months and jeopardize their status for the season. You just ideally want to just put them away in a time capsule and keep them there so that when you open it in July, all the pieces are still there and you just get. You just have to roll them out and there. And the cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon. <laughs> Little boy blue and the man in the moon. When you're going home, Dad, I don't know when. But we'll have Joe Burrow then. Well, I mean, until... You're going to make me cry again, Tim. You're empty nesting, Urban Meyer. Well... <laughs> They're leaving me. They're leaving me. So he just sits. So you're saying at night, he turns off the TV and he gets out the scrapbook and he starts flipping through. Oh, look at Joe. Look at Joe when he was a redshirt freshman. Oh, look at this. Look, he's being recruited by Tom Herman. Oh, he watches the video of Dwayne Haskins when Dwayne Haskins is like an eight-year-old in an Ohio State jersey at the Woody. That's a real video, by the way. You guys can find that on YouTube. He's flipping through the scrapbook with tears running down his face thinking about the fact that he can't keep all three. Either that or he's trying to convince the Ohio State Robotics Department to find a way to not to lock them in a room and the robots are not allowed to let them out. Or, should a guy get hurt, robotic 
robotic replacements for like injuries so you just slap a robot muscle on them and they're good to go the next day i mean we have proof now that robots are here to kill people and we'll get to that so he doesn't want any part of a robot quarterback here's what i think he wants here's what i think he maybe wants and this would be letting go to some degree but i think he might in his heart i think he might want dwayne haskins to blow everybody away dwayne haskins like make the decision for me be some version of like Sam Darnold and Cam Newton and Andrew Luck. Just like, just make it that everybody in that building knows you're the guy. Look like a national championship quarterback so that there is no decision. So that, it, that the whole program can rally around one guy. The competition is over. Joe can have a clear answer. I think maybe in his heart of heart of hearts, he wants Dwayne Haskins to end this thing by making making it obvious to anyone so that when you think about like what's Urban Meyer's decision, there is no decision. Because anybody with a pair of eyes from the lowest intern on that staff all the way up to Urban Meyer and Ryan Day and Kevin Wilson would know Dwayne's the guy. You think that's in play? Do you think that might be in his head, Landis? Yeah, no, I think I think that's possible. But as we were talking about that, I, I think I settled on the thing that's first and foremost in his head is uh, just recruiting the next one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Who's our quarterback again right now? Whatever, I got to get out. Yeah. No, I think that's probably true too. Um, like, can his grandson play quarterback? Yeah. yeah. Is he going to be around for that? Um, John Wu, thank you for that question. God, I love those. I love questions like that. Mike Mulcahy at Mulcahy underscore Mike. Any future five-star athletes at the middle school track meet so far? So, I get really into middle school track meets. So, we when the one I left for last week was held at New Albany High School, where I, by the way, they had the list of like the best track times at New Albany High School, and Darren Lee was on two relays for the uh, fastest times at New Albany, which is like, what a shock. Like, the first-round NFL draft pick was the fastest guy at New Albany. But there was a kid at the track meet who set – it wasn't on my daughter's team. It was a competing middle school. I think he said – I heard him say to his coach, he set his school's middle school record. He ran 11 flat in the 100 as an eighth grader, which I thought sounded really good because then I checked the New Albany board, and their high school record was 10-9-2, and this eighth grader ran 11 flat. But then – my daughter went to an invitational over the weekend, and the 11 flat kid got beat. So now I want to go find that kid. But, like, I love middle school track competitions. I just start, whenever I see, like, a parent of a kid, like, who just won something, I just go up, like, and start interviewing them. Even though, like, <laughs> I'm just like, are you, the, are you the mother and father of that kid who just won the 800? Wow. He really, and then I just like start talking to them in a way that like they don't want to be talked to. They're like, can we just enjoy this as a family and like have you shut up? And I'm just like, I'm so happy for you. He ran a great race. That was one of the greatest things I've ever seen. And then I walk away and they say, who was that guy? So I had a good time at the middle school track meet. I'm sorry. I'm sorry it affected the podcast, but it was worth it. Uh, let's see. Fast Eddie at Edward Waller. Haskins or Burrow? Who cares? They're both great. Ohio State could win it with either one. Now that's, that's, that's the outlook we need, Fast Eddie. We could have done a five-minute podcast if we thought of it that way. 
Now that we answered that one, can we move on to more important questions like what is your favorite type of blizzard from Dairy Queen? <laughs> when I literally heard the, read this question the first time, I was laughing as I was reading it out loud to myself because I thought it was just like I read it in the tone. He probably wrote it and he's probably laughing a little bit somewhere as he wrote it. I'm not sure that we've ever done a blizzard deep dive on this podcast before. Have we, Landis? I was just thinking that I uh, I don't think we have. I think I think at one point we had a discussion about how Ari used to invite me over to his house, but it was only contingent on me picking up a blizzard and bringing it to him. But I don't think we ever talked about the flavors. Right. Well, I do think also really quick. Do you consider the blizzard and and not the blizzard and what it it led to, but the idea of crushing up cookies and candy and other things inside of ice cream? Is that one of the ten greatest inventions of the last hundred years? Yeah, yeah, like that and the Tesla. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because what did people do like in the fifties? You just went to get ice cream, and it was just like vanilla ice cream on a cone, which I love. But I mean, the idea of if you would have told someone, if you would go back in time now and tell someone from the fifties, I could crush up a candy bar and put it in your ice cream. They would think that's like nuclear fission, right? What do you mean, they, crush it up? Like it's just they, sprinkled yeah, on top? They, they, yeah. It's they would burn it for being a witch. Yeah, exactly, right? That's voodoo, isn't it? To crush up candy and put it in ice cream? It's God's work. That's what it is. What's your favorite flavor, Landis? So I used to be real big into uh, cookie dough. Like I, I, I only, for probably... I don't know, like eight or ten years, I was very solid, solidly. I'm getting a cookie dough blizzard with vanilla ice cream. Uh, I have since changed, and I now get a uh, Reese's cup blizzard with chocolate ice cream. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. What's yours, Tim? I'm always torn between two, like both with vanilla, but M and M's and Oreos. I feel like those are always the two go tos, um, because I mean, those are two of the like. M&M seems like the quintessential candy. You get that little crunch with the chocolate. And the Oreos, you always get that little mix with the cream and then the cookie bits in there. And I feel like the Oreos blend really well into the ice cream. Very well done. I said we're not here to criticize on this podcast, and I didn't want to criticize quarterbacks. And I'm not here to criticize Blizzard choices. However, the M&M is also one of – I think it, at a McFlurry, which again is a Blizzard knockoff. And again, that's why the invention of the Blizzard was so important because it led to the uh, other places figuring out how to put candy and ice cream. Most of the time, the McFlurry, you can basically either get M&M or Oreo, I think, which to me – which is a sign that they are the most simplistic of the Blizzards. And honestly and – and I mean this question with all due respect, Tim – is there that much difference between an M&M and a chocolate chip? When it comes to that, that it's it's a one note flavor. It's just chocolate in ice cream. Or do you feel like the candy crunch around the M M&M and M takes it to another level? I feel like the the crunch adds a little bit. And if they're the same, like I know you're thought about the same thing. Like, what's wrong with just simplistic? I mean, there's beauty in simplicity. I I agree with that. But to me, also, like you could just get like a swirl cone and have a chocolate and vanilla flavor together. I also like the peanut butter cup blizzard. I like the Heath Bar blizzard. But both of those, you're getting the triple flavor of like the vanilla ice cream. And I would never get chocolate ice cream with it. (laughs) Vanilla ice cream with peanut butter and chocolate. Or vanilla ice cream with like the Heath Bar toffee and chocolate. I want at least a three flavor experience in my blizzard. I don't want to limit myself 
to just M&M's, which to me is a two-flavor experience. Landis, I thought you were going to say Monster Cookie Blizzard, which is like a nine-flavor experience. Oh, you know what? I did have one of those one time, and it was really good. What's in the Monster Cookie Blizzard? Yeah, what is that? I don't know. <laughs> I've heard you talk about that, though. I've heard yeah. you you could do a commercial for the Monster Cookie Blizzard if you actually knew what was in it. But I think I've, I think yeah, I remember talking about it now. But the, the only one I think I only had it twice. Now I'm googling Monster Cookie Blizzard. Um, ooh, <laughs> this is a story. This is a story from uh, Delish.com that says Dairy Queen's new Blizzard is fully loaded with M and M's cookies and peanut butter. It's ooh. seriously monstrous. How many flavors can you count in that Blizzard? Separate flavors. Uh, so including the ice cream is one, two, three, five? Five, okay. Five, yeah. And again, that's the same price as a two-flavor experience. So I'm just saying that. I'm not here to criticize. I'm just saying I'm there to maximize my flavor diversity. Scott Duda, urban game plans for playmakers are Demario McCall and Tate Martell in the top five for each week in terms of getting the ball in their hands. Uh, let's play top five playmakers. Top five playmakers on the board. Who are they? Landis, give me one. Uh, Paris Campbell. Paris Campbell. Bielek, give me one. J.K. Dobbins. J.K. Dobbins. Uh, I will say Mike Weber. Landis. This is where it gets interesting. Um, Demario McCall. McCall and Tim. Uh, I really, I really want to say Austin Mack, especially because this year, if Dwayne Haskins is the quarterback, he's going to lean on Mack. He's like, I'm going to throw it up to you. You go grab us a first down. All right, so our top five playmakers that Urban Meyer we think will game plan for in the fall are Paris Campbell, J.K. Dobbins, Mike Weber, Demario McCall, and Austin Mack. Are we all pretty good with that top five, or is there somebody that maybe one of you guys disagreed with Weber or something that should be jammed in there? Uh, I, I like. I want to put Tate Martell in there. Who do you want to take out? Austin Mack. Are you happy with this five? Uh, I am only because I really don't know how much they'll be willing to put Tate Martell out there. Yeah. Um, I think I'm okay with the five. It's hard for me. It's hard for me to figure out who to take off that list to put in like the third quarterback as a slot guy ahead of like Austin Mack, who we think is going to be their breakout receiver. I think, because when we're talking about playmakers, we're talking about, like, we think they've got to throw the ball down the field to Austin Mack, right? I don't think they should prioritize Tate Martell ahead of, like, three or four times when you give Austin Mack a chance to make a play. Yeah, I guess you're right. Okay, I changed my mind. Because now I'm thinking about, too, like, when Braxton Miller, and he wasn't the quarterback, but the way they tried to force him to the ball was, was not great, so... Um, okay, I changed my back. Austin Mack on the list. All right. Evan Imel. If all the quarterbacks stay, how long of a leash does the starter get if there's trouble? How long of a leash do you give a restaurant before benching it? One bad experience or multiple? Love the combo. Questions, Tim. Yeah. How long is this leash? I think it's got to be a pretty long leash because, if you, again, if you have a starter, you got to commit to him. You have to treat him as the starter. If it's like 2015 where you're – you know, you have the guys thinking one mistake and he's gone, then you're going to run in, then you're going to have two quarterbacks who are unsure of themselves. So you need to be willing to give the starter the freedom it, to make mistakes in certain situations, knowing that one mistake isn't going to jeopardize his playing time. Do you believe in a long leash, Landis? Yeah, because you can't, 
2015 can't happen again. So, yes. M. Barry. At M. Barry, M33. Urban never seemed comfortable with Cardale. Why will it be different with Haskins? Feels like we are putting a lot on the coordinators. I think a couple reasons it'll be different with Haskins that I I can understand all the Haskins-Cardale comparisons because I actually think there's enough there even beyond just like they're kind of like taller throwers who played for Ohio State. I actually think there's even a little bit more than that. But one thing is Urban recruited Haskins. He didn't recruit Cardale. He inherited Cardale. They went out and got Haskins. Now they got Haskins in a short window because their other quarterback uh, commit decommitted and decided to play receiver. But but I think that's just different. Even subconsciously, it's a little bit different when it's your guy. Um, another reason is that I think Cardale in some way paved the way for Haskins. That that Urban hadn't really necessarily dealt with a guy like Cardale, although I think kind of maybe he did at Florida, which is I'm going to write a story about that. But I do think the Cardale experience even though I don't think it, it went well, I actually think contributes to the idea of Dwayne Haskins going well because they've tried this before, and I think they may have learned from their mistakes. Three, I think the coordinators are better. They are putting a lot on the coordinators, but it's Ryan Day in year two and Kevin Wilson in year two instead of Ed Warner in his first year as a coordinator and Tim Beck, the quarterback's coach, in his first year on the staff. I think that is a tremendous difference for why this situation will work better than it worked with Cardale. And I think four, even though Cardale was great in 2014, I do think Dwayne Haskins is better. And so, like, I blame, on the list of why it didn't work with Cardale, Cardale is not at the top of that list to me. But Cardale didn't play great. You know, like if Cardale had played awesome, he would have started the whole year and it would have been fine. Like they ended up having to, Urban felt like he had to make a change because Cardale wasn't playing that great. Now, I still blame Tim Beck and Ed Warner and Urban, I think more than I blame Cardale because I don't think they helped him. I think they yanked him too early. But I just think there's a better chance that when they go to Dwayne, it'll be fine. So, I understand the comparisons to Cardale, but I just feel like there's a lot of things in place that give Haskins a better chance of working out. Landis, do you agree or disagree? Yeah, I think I think I agree. I think the the, the initial point you made that it's Urban's guy and not a guy he inherited it probably it carries the most weight with me. And it's not just like he likes Cardale clearly, um, even though he did inherit him. But I feel like again, I always, I always come back to the same thing: like, why did you recruit him then? So I I think that you don't you don't recruit a guy. If there's not a comfort level there, um, but I understand the sentiment too, and it, it will require some some changing of the offense. Um, but I think that they're willing to go down that road with Dwayne Haskins because of what he's able to do with his arm. Chris McCormick at Crease twenty three C R E A S E twenty three. Good listener, good question asker. If we hadn't had JT for four years, would we view Joe Burrow differently? Do you? F- we just did a whole political debate. Comparing JT Barrett and Joe Burrow, do you think, Tim, that the existence of JT Barrett in this offense and everything he did and all the games he played influences everyone's view of Joe Burrow? Certainly would take that comparison away that I've been having that Joe Burrow is essentially JT Barrett plus. So that would make for a harder comparison as far as 
how differently we would view him. I don't know how different that would be because you have to. Ha- we have to know who Ohio State's starting quarterback is in 2014, 2015, and 16 and 17. We have to know who that is so we can really gauge Joe Burrow because we you can't exactly look at it in a vacuum. The, we- the only way you can really look at quarterbacks is in comparison, I think, to other quarterbacks. And if there's no, and if your comparison point disappears, then how are you supposed to gauge what Joe Burrow is? I do think it's like we just had a whole conversation of why people want Joe Burrow. I think if they had been like coming off an era where they had like a big strong arm guy, where they were good but not quite great, then I almost think they'd want Joe Burrow more. It's like everything in sports. When you have one thing and you make a change, you want the opposite. You want different. So um, I feel like. I feel like JT's existence should actually like make everybody want Dwayne Haskins more. That like I think JT might alter the view of Dwayne Haskins. I don't know that he would alter the view of Joe Burrow because whether JT Barrett was there or not, like Joe Burrow, I think fits the mold of the Urban Meyer quarterback more. But again, I think we're all sort of surprised by the backing for Burrow given the way people felt about JT. So I think that complicates Chris's good question a little bit. Uh, DeLillo, at Douglas DeLillo, Antonio Williams transferring, how surprised were you, 1 to 10? 10 being super-duper surprised, I can't believe it, 1 being, of course he transferred. Tim? 2. Landis? This is Antonio Williams, I'm sorry I didn't hear you at the beginning. Antonio Williams transferring, how surprised, 1 being, of course he transferred, 10 being shocked. 1. 1. I'm a 1 also. I think we're, I mean, like, if, if we had had to make a list... And again, we've talked about it a lot, and we need to say they're at 86 right now. Yep. Matt Burrell also transferred, who, uh, who basically is the Antonio Williams of the offensive line, a guy who's a veteran who hasn't started, who just sees a situation where he's probably not going to start. Um, if we had secretly done this, and we probably should have, because again, we don't think it's fair to throw out names of guys who could transfer based just on like roster guessing. But I think all of us would – Landis, wouldn't we have had those two guys on the list of possibilities? Yeah, you just look at crowded positions. For, so, yeah, for sure. All right. Um, how long of a leash – we did the quarterback thing with Evan Imel. How long of a leash before you bench a restaurant? Are you in one bad experience and you're done, Landis, or does it take more than that? Uh, yeah, I'm, I, I can't think of a specific example, but I, I want to go back to a place – Oh yeah, so like I'm I'm home in Philadelphia. And like there's this new sandwich place that opened up, and it's a, it's like an offshoot of a restaurant that I really liked. And my brother and I went there for lunch today, and I was very excited about it because I had heard good things, and then I was disappointed by what I had ordered. And I don't think I'll go there again because it wasn't that good. Really? Okay. Yeah. Tim, do you give restaurants more of a shot, or are you one and done? If it's a place I've been to multiple times, I'm willing to give it a leash because anybody can have an off day. Again, we're not robots. Robots we've already been there multiple times. Yeah, but I mean, if you have good experiences and then all of a sudden you have a bad meal, you were like, well, that sucked, but I'm willing to give them one more chance. If it's a new place and I wasn't impressed, I'm less likely to go. But if you've earned yeah. my trust multiple times and you have a bad – and you drop the ball one time, I'm like, eh, all right, I'll give you another shot. It may, get, may need a little more time to earn my – to make me want to give you that second chance, but I'm much more willing to do that with a place I've been to rather than something that just popped up on the street. I will say, if I go to a place one time and I get in a screaming fight with the server, I probably will not go back. And that that may or may not have happened to me. Uh, G. Nilly recruiting question, then we'll get to a robot point and wrap it up. 
is taking an elite and this again this could you could do 40 minutes on this is taking an elite quarterback recruit every year worth it or would ohio state be better off going for an elite quarterback recruit every two years and then supplementing that with a local three-star recruit in the next class we've kind of gone over this this is the stacking quarterbacks idea we've talked about this before I'm in favor of the I don't think you need to recruit a, a future starter every year. I think Kenny Guyton wound up being a great recruit for Ohio State. I think Joe Burrow was a great take for Ohio State. He's almost in between. He's a local Ohio kid. He's Mr. Ohio. They needed to get an Ohio quarterback in here, but he's better than that. Like He's not a throw-in, but he also isn't just go out and find like a top 100 kid from anywhere. He was 280 in the country, and he was an Ohio kid. Landis, what's your, what's your answer to G. Neely's question? Take an elite guy every year or, or balance it? Um, I, I am very much in favor of, of keeping roster health in mind when you're recruiting, which is why uh, I, I am and I think we as, as a podcasting trio are in favor of the idea of saving some spots for, for in-state lower-rated guys who you think might stick around a little longer. Um, so, so I like that idea. Um, in theory, but even even in practice, I don't I don't know how possible it is because like I don't I don't know how you sell that. And I guess it's like some kids will just come to Ohio State because they love Ohio State. But but you're talking about and it's a cliche to say, but only one guy can play, and all these guys want to play regardless if that's playing a Bowling Green or playing at Ohio State. So I still think it, on on some level it is it's not as difficult, but there are still difficulties in, in trying to operate that way. Um, but but I'm in favor of that, and and I don't. Maybe they, they've kind of done that with Baldwin here, and they did it with Stephen Collier. Granted, that wasn't the plan. Like it's never, It has never been the plan for Ohio State. It just sort of worked out. Like They chased Deshaun Watson, didn't get him, and they got Stephen Collier, who ended up being like the perfect backup quarterback here, never had to play, but was a good student, a good teammate. Um, everybody loved him. He got his degree, and, and then he left. Um, and I think like Matthew Baldwin's not coming here to, to be that guy. He's coming here to want to play, but if it works out being that way too, then I think that will have been a successful quarterback recruitment. So I like the idea of, of keeping your roster healthy so that every year you're not in this situation. Yeah, I think I think I may have even actually asked someone one time, would you ever recruit a backup quarterback? I don't know who I asked. And, I, and of course, like the, a coach is going to answer like, no, of course not. Everybody we recruit is coming here with the expectation to start. We want guys who want to start. But I also don't necessarily believe that. Like, again, uh, you can't have half your roster transferring every time they don't win a starting job. So... You know what? Like, th- there's there's some consternation over this situation right now. But the only way it's actually a problem is if two guys leave. Yep. And we talked about that before. But if if only Joe Burrow transfers, and there they have Dwayne Haskins, Tate Martell, and Matthew Baldwin for the fall, they're fine. They're, they're, like, it'd be great if Matthew Baldwin was was healthier. But like, they're fine. Guys transfer. The only way that this really bites him in the butt of like having too many big-time guys is if Tate gets antsy. And Tate is a guy who, again, was the number 56 overall uh, player in the class of 2017. If he gets here and redshirts his first year, and then at the start of his second year he feels like his situation for playing time is not good enough, that he skedaddles, then I do think there is a failure in there somewhere. It's a misread a little bit on Ohio State, on Tate, or it's a situation where they weren't able to make him comfortable enough to stay because I think I think that would be if, – if a guy leaves after basically one year, 
because he's not starting at quarterback. Like you didn't, you didn't lock him in enough to get him to stay. I think they're doing that. Like Landis, do you think they're they're getting they're locking Tate Martell in and getting that Buckeye blood in him and and making him believe in this in his opportunity and in his desire to be a Buckeye that they have a chance to keep him around to have him lined up to be the next guy behind whoever wins the Haskinsboro thing or how much fear do you have that he's just too good and he wants to go? Um. I I probably lean a little more more toward the your your first statement that they're keeping him doing doing the right things to keep him around at least for one more year. Um, like if they if they play him situationally and he's awesome, and then the next year he's still the backup quarterback, then I think then maybe he'll he'll have no other choice but to leave. Um, but I think I think they have him in a good place, and I also think that that maybe Tate Martell is, is a bit misunderstood in, in, in that regard that we just automatically assumed that he would leave. Cause he has before. a personality. It's like he's interesting yeah. and is like outgoing. And we think that means he's going to bolt. Yeah. But I don't, I, and that that's probably true, but I don't think that makes him any different than any other quarterback. Yeah. I think it's a little unfair to have that perception, which I think is a perception that does exist. Right. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Um, at X facade X, this question is so good. I think it is, the theme of next week's podcast, honestly. I'm going to ask the question now and tease you guys, and then we'll talk about robots. If Ohio State wins the championship this year, name three starters from last year that had to step up their game big time to do so, and one new starter that must rise to the occasion. Facade then lists his four guys, but we're going to save them till next week, and we're going to mull this over and ponder this question and the headline on next week's podcast is going to be something like the Buckeyes who need to step up for Ohio State to win the national championship. Because I think that's a really in-depth question that allows us to get into some really interesting roster things. So that means... Can I, can I ask a question before we, move, before we move on? Yeah. How many specialists am I limited to? <laughs> um, only, my only caveat is you can't name more than one long snapper. Okay. All right. Fine. Not both long snappers. Not both McCullough brothers. Are they both here? Uh, yeah, they'll both be here next yeah. year. You can't say following. both of them. You got to pick a McCullough. So they're not going to run a play where you just you have one McCullough brother long snap it to another who long snaps at forty yards down the field. Austin Mack, who's wide open. That is the next evolution of football, I believe. Is the long snap to the long snap like the long and the long snap itself is a pass. Yeah, that's impossible to defend. A man throwing a ball forty yards through his legs backwards—impossible to defend. No one's ever—I don't—I don't recall a rule ever saying it can't happen. So why not? Right. All right. Here's my point about Westworld. Are you guys? Do you guys watch Westworld at all on HBO? I watched the first season. No. All right. So Landis, do you know the second season started on Sunday night? Yeah, I just haven't watched it yet. All right. So here's the main thing. Like it's robots, right? That's not giving anything away. And my, I use the term robots for basically anything that's not alive, anything not created by God that tries to think. And these robots on this show do more than think. They do everything. So listen, here's the deal. I feel like the show is trying to get me to root for the robots against the humans. 
And I understand that all this kind of stuff is all an allegory for the mistreatment of minority populations, whether it be people native to a continent, Native Americans, or or the Aboriginal people in Australia, or any native group, and then the, the jerks come in and ruin their lives, right? It's the majority population against the minority population. I get that, that it's an allegory. Here's the thing. Where do you guys stand on this? If your book or movie or TV show, in the end, is trying to get me to root for robots to beat the humans... To, for robots to kill humans, like the humans are the bad guys and the robots are the good guys. I get, like, I watch The Americans, which I love, and it makes you, like, kind of root for the Russians against the Americans. But here's what I'm never going to do. I'm never going to root against the human race. And so I'm getting aggravated if you're trying to get me to go to the robot side and I think it's robot propaganda, and I'm not so sure it's a show that isn't written by robots. Landis, would you ever root for robots against humans? No, that's why. Like, I, I watched the first season, but I wasn't totally into it because, like, when it when like I'm not to give anything. Like, when when it starts to put you in that position, and it happens in the first season, uh, I wasn't into it. I didn't care. Like, I don't like they're not they're not people. Why do why do I care if they win? Why do I? Why do I want them to win? Yeah, and why because the people? The people aren't. The people aren't so awful that like they deserve it. You know, like the humans aren't so awful that they deserve it because like they're not. They're not being mean to other. Not they're not being terrible humans to other humans. They're being terrible humans to robots. So whatever, they're robots. Yeah, right. Are you Tim? Where do you stand? Would you ever root? for robots in popular culture to take down humans. No. I mean, again, the second that happens is the second our liveliness is threatened, but I also think that there's like a 1% chance that happens. But I don't but I'm not going to root for it. Bottom line is I'm not rooting for it. And I don't care how bad the human is. I would root for a murderer against a robot. Cuz listen, we're the humans, we'll take care of the murderer. But we don't need a robot to do it, so the robots can just chill out, and I will never feel sympathy for a robot. And if you're a robot and you're listening to this, you can cram it, robot, because I'm on to you, and we are on alert, and we're not going to stand for this, whether you're vacuuming our floor or whether you like look like James Marsden and you wear a cowboy hat and you seem like really sympathetic. And kind of like a nice guy, you're still a robot. And I'm never going to forget that. Okay. <laughs> so what's going to happen if, you're, if your Roombot starts vacuuming in the middle of his stops and just goes, ha, ha, ha. I'm going to smash it to death with a hammer. With, with no sympathy put, for metal. Put it on YouTube so I can watch that. By the way, I also, this is the other robot thing. I found this on YouTube. I stumbled across it. There is a YouTube video because someone informed us that another site is taking Buckeye Talk and making YouTube videos out of it and putting that on YouTube. Which, like Landis, like Tim, we've reported that. Landis, like, it's like half flattering but weird and they're stealing our stuff, right? It's not just ours. There's other podcasts that are on there as well. Like, the Joe Thomas, Andrew Hawkins podcast is on there. Yeah, we're in, like, with a good mix of established podcasts, but they shouldn't be stealing our stuff. Right, Landis? 
Yeah, no, they shouldn't. They shouldn't be stealing. Yeah, because there's there are there those, those are listens that we should be getting for the podcast. If we can't get sponsored. Yeah, exactly. But I want to make the point. Maybe I can find it here. I rank, came across. I'll show it next week. I came across a video that is <clears throat> a column that I wrote. You're not going to believe this. You're not going to believe that this is actually happening. You won't believe it. It's a column I wrote about Hugh Jackson that was turned into a YouTube video. And all it is is a picture of Hugh Jackson, and the words are on the screen, and a robot is reading it. (laughs) Can you believe that? That's you being trolled by uh, Skynet. They are coming for me. I'll find it and play it next week. I don't know who to report it to, but, like, what do you say? Uh, yes, YouTube, um, a robot stole my column and read it on your site. Like, I, it's, un, it's like, Hugh Jackson is disingenuous and stabbed Sashi Brown in the back. That's, that's like, the real thing. It is crazy. That's it for Buckeye Talk. Landis, any any more Philly report to give us before we go? Uh, Sixers are up by 18 with a minute 23 left in the third quarter. Uh, are the streets of Philadelphia going to be on fire in half an hour, or is it okay because it's the first round? No, it's just the first round. I think there might be a, a smattering of people. It's also raining here, so I, I think it'll be okay. All right. So uh, you will be back in Ohio for the next Buckeye Talk. Is that correct or no? Correct. All yes. Right. Um, you weren't too bad as a robot. You're a nice robot. You like to get you. You like you're just setting me up. Um, all right, Tim. Any parting thoughts? Um, your idea makes me wonder what would happen if we ever asked Siri to transcribe our interviews. Will she upload them to YouTube? And if she does that, will she put them on our YouTube channel, Ohio State Football and Cleveland.com? We hope you subscribe. By the way, small small shameless plug. But will she do that and put it on our channel so we can get the hits? If that's the case, then I'm all for that. Then I am all for that. If we can use the robots for us. Yeah, and make them work for us. It's audio storytelling. It's the fourth way to. It's the fourth way to get a story up. There's podcasts. There's posts, and then there's video. We have audio storytelling. It's like mini audio books. Having a robot read our stories. Um, <laughs> listen, we're gonna have draft coverage. The draft is this week, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Go to cleveland.com/osu. Find all the videos where we projected the eleven Buckeyes, where we think they're gonna go. Um, we're gonna have live information as soon as they get drafted. It's going to be a good week for the Buckeyes. We think anywhere between, not we think, everybody thinks, between like 8 and 11 Buckeyes should be drafted. So make sure you're following Cleveland.com during the draft. Um, More spring stories coming, like spring football's over. We still have a boatload of stuff that we're going to write about this team. Landis did a uh, breakdown of the depth chart, offense and defense, that he put up at Cleveland.com on Tuesday. You can go find that. And uh, thanks for hanging with us. We appreciate the listens. Uh, We appreciate the reviews. Uh, We appreciate you guys reading our stuff, and we will continue to bring you Buckeye Talk, even though there's really nothing new happening. But you will keep sending us questions and giving ideas for us to have for topics. So, for Bill Landis, our Philadelphia correspondent, for Tim Bielek, our Ohio correspondent, I don't want to give away where you live because I don't want the groupies to come to your house. (laughs) But it's a suburb. It's my one-bed, one-bathroom apartment. Yeah. And uh, for me, so for Bill, for Tim, I'm Doug. Thanks to you guys for listening. And that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>